is an inexorable force in the cosmos where time and space converge. A place beyond man's vision, but not his reach. It is the most mysterious and awesome point in the universe. Where the here and now may be forever. On my ship, you ask. It is unavoidable. Moving through space, swallowing everything in its path. Radio waves, light. Are you programmed to speak? Even planets and stars. Now. Gravity's at maximum, Dan. Oh my God, I think it's got us. Man is about to enter. We got a break here, too. journey that begins where everything ends. Start it. If you wish. As you wish. Have you ever seen the seagulls <laughs> flying all to heaven? Or the crimson sails of a pretty Irish girl? I just... I truncated that, mother. But I've been singing that for 20 years. <laughs> bridge. I have bridged that. <laughs> She's my dear, my darling one. Okay. Well, this is fun because we're back. Blake and I haven't been hanging out as much because we've cut the cut back. Our, par- our parents cut. Yeah. Look, every- <laughs> you got to understand. Parents every get very weekend busy. you guys are sleeping. Yeah, this is enough. They had an intervention. And, uh, you know, they said to us, uh, you know, that's the real reason we've cut down on the production. Because <laughs> our parents got mad. Yeah, they got really mad at us. They said, you know, you're too much. What are you, do- what are you guys doing down there? You guys can hang out once a month. Yeah. My dad, I quoted... Um, Telly Savalas from Kelly's Heroes. He's like, you know, you guys got to get some. No, I'm not going to say that before you stop freaking out with each other. Um, yeah, so we we spent a lot of the night catching up. We've been talking about stuff, laughing, giggling. But one thing I was keeping a surprise is because people will know that it's St. Patty's Day yeah. around this time, but it's also uh, the celebration of the birth of my partner in crime. <laughs> Dion Baia. Oh, you know that's well. We're we're also dropping this early, right? Early. Our plan is is we usually drop the third of the month. (laughs) The the plan of two months so far is that we're usually drop the third week of every month. And this this week this month the plan was to drop it. I guess on my birthday. Yeah. So I fucking bought a present, man. Oh, you did. I was wondering what you had in that that big steamer trunk. Are you able to open that steamer trunk? My my Santa uh, bag. But it's just like a really old, old, old <laughs> trunk that Blake puts on his back and carries like those women in labyrinth. I mean, part of it, you, you're reimbursing me for. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. He did but buy me there's a. There's something uh, extra. 
Ooh, okay. So do I, uh, is this a Bible scripture, 39, <laughs> 13? Um, so uh, for, for all the people who can't see this, which is everybody, there's a cardboard, there's a thin cardboard yes, we box. We like to do very visual things yeah, on, a, on an audio podcast. <laughs> and I was going to say on a radio show. Um, it looks like it's the size, it could be a book, but it might be vinyl. It's, this, the card, it's a thin cardboard box of vinyl. I'm now opening the crypt. <laughs> Ooh, I see foam, which means there's protection here. This is going to be exciting, ladies and gentlemen. What did, is he this going to be? now removing the covering. Is this going to be Al Capone's vault? Am I going to find something sweeping? Oh, wow. Jesus. Oh, this is not a book. This it is, is a book. I mean, I'm sorry. This is not a, uh, um, a, uh, a vinyl. It is a book on Tom Savini by Tom Savini called Savini by Tom Savini. <laughs> um... By to add to the Savini Library. Darkinkbooks.com. That's really cool. It's hardcover as well, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, but you have to open it to really get the full effect. The full splendor. Because it's special. Holy shit. It's, this is copy 650 of a 1,013, 1,013 copies. And this is 650, and yeah, Tom Savini signed it. It's the signed edition. It is the signed edition where he, he has his signed name, and then below it, just if you don't know who it is, it <laughs> just says, in case. <laughs> it's printed in the book, Tom Savini. This is, a lim- this is a limited first edition of Savini, and is limited to 1,013 copies. This copy is 650. I'm going to be keeping this in my closet if anyone wants to rob me. Oh, wow. This looks at oh, all. This is so nice, Blake. This I looks like it cost like you. an autobiography, but... It's big, pretty hefty hardcover. I am in my seventies now. I was like, Dion's not gonna like read this on the train. No, this is, I can't bring this on the train. I'll be, I'll but be it carrying came, I was like, oh, book. I wasn't expecting it to be like this. Yeah, there's a nice quote at the beginning of, of Savini. So this is brand new then, because he's talking about he's in his seventies now. Yeah, it's fairly new. Uh, I was born when I was very young. I was born when I was very young. That's the first chapter. So you're right. It looks like it is a lot of childhood photos, him growing up, um, Lon Chaney Senior. Pictures of him with children, which I'm assuming well, are his family. Like way back. Going, look at that. Him even doing Asian uh, yellow face in his old days. And he looks, that's really good, actually. Yeah. For, let me show that. Show that to the viewers. Yeah, yeah. To the ditto cam <laughs> for other people watching. <laughs> uh, well, way back in the day when Dion and I met uh, in the uh, summer of 1997. Summer of 97. Uh, so long ago. Dion uh, was and still is a, a fan of... The works of Tom Savini. The King of Splatter. And uh, he was pretty much the person that introduced me to the wonderful world of Tom Savini. You didn't know the... I uh, probably knew his uh, some of his work, but I didn't... Wow, what a, what a birthday present. And, and I got a, a nice... Um, I figured you could, that could be a bookmark. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a, a nice little postcard of, of the book, which is related, which is awesome. And on the book, it, there's another... Um, it's uh, Unmasked, the true... St- a, a true life story of the world's most prolific serial killer, Kane Hutter. Um, so this must be a, a biography. Something yeah. that this is a promo on the back of the bo- postcard of uh, of it. Um, and uh, one of our very first our outings uh, sleepover. Oh, 
uh, movie festivals. Was a Tom Savini was festival. A, was a Tom Savini retrospective. <laughs> yeah, which we've never really done here yet. We never really... Have we talked about Savini? This is amazing. Thank well, you so much, Blake. Oh. I would embrace you, but you're on the other side of the coffee table and we're sitting Indian style. Uh, well, we did Dawn of the Dead. We did Dawn. We've done Creep Show. We've done Creep Show. So we've talked about Savini. Um, but yeah, we watched... We did all the b We did like Prowler and Maniac. The Burning. And The Burning. And uh, the, I feel like there was another one of those days... Um, was, did we watch the crazies together? I don't think he did the crazies. You're right. I'm sorry. But we did discover Martin around that time. Yeah. And you, you, you latched on. You love, that's one of your most favorite movies. Yeah, I love that movie. And, uh, and Dion had the original, was it Grand Illusion? What's the name of those? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, yeah we, you're right. We did bring that up in either the Creep Show or in, um, the Dawn of the Dead, the, the Grand Illusions book, which yeah. is, uh, he put out several editions of, it's like a, his, his equivalent to the Dick Smith how-to. But Dion had an early edition of that. Yeah. I got it. I was going to... Uh, I was checking colleges out on Long Island and I went to Hofstra and when I was at Hofstra interviewing for film uh, we started talking about film and the guy's like Summer, he's like you like Tom Savini? and I was like yeah and that's Hofstra's like in Nassau County over there um, uh, maybe Jericho Turnpike or but anyway, the, and the guys, the, the interviewer was like, "There's a magic shop down the road." He gave me directions on a on a piece of paper, and he's like, "They have Tom Savini books there." So I was, I got my, in the car with my mom. I was like, "Mom, we're going to this magic shop <laughs> in Long Island," and we went over there to the magic <laughs> shop. To the magic shop. And it, it, it was like Pee Wee, you know, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. It was like, it was like that magic shop. Um, and now that that's going on 23 years ago or more, all I remember is it being like a really dark place, like akin to like a bowling alley or something. And you go into the back, and they had. That's where I got that grand illusion. I've never seen it anywhere else except when we go to like these um, conventions. Conventions. Yeah, and then got that signed by Savini, and then they got a second. It was a newer edition. Newer yeah, that, edition that, that I might have bought from him. You know, it was like a '90s edition, or of of not of that. It was another book called Savini or something. Savini was one of the highlights of our first joint uh, exploration into the wonderful world of horror conventions. Yeah, at the New Yorker Hotel. <laughs> What's the other girl's name? Tabitha Stevens. Remember that porn actress that I, I, I she started sending. This is back in the day where um, it was the like f- horror slash porn convention. Yeah, so it was like a Fangora <laughs> convention, and then the other half of it was like Playboy <laughs> models or penthouse or no, no hardcore. Because if they were hardcore, I would have maybe known them of, the, of yesteryear. But um, I got on this girl. I think her name was Tab- Tabitha Stevens. And um, I started getting snail mail from her at college in the, you know, you go open your little box. And yeah. like, it was like, so I was like, just this woman sending all this out to, <laughs> like, that was back when you had to earn it. You know, yeah, you're, not, yeah. you're not sending an email, you're licking stamps, <laughs> you're putting your, your, Xero, your Xerox and stuff. And so anyway, so we met Savini there and we spent that whole afternoon with Savini. Um, I smoked a cigarette with him in the, uh, in the New Yorker hotel ballroom and we chatted. He remember we told him we were film students and he mm-hmm, was... Mm-hmm. Telling us about his, he was saying when he was in, did, I don't remember if he said he went to film school, but I remember him saying when he was in college, he was telling us devices and tricks he did, like the werewolf technique he said he did when he was in college of, you know, aging, yeah. turning into a werewolf, or the, I always remember the vinyl, he said like, you know, he put like on a turntable, wax, he did the title of the movie in wax, and then he melted them and turned it maybe, and then he shot it, and then he reversed the film, and then it and it looked like it was, it went from a, 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 like a wet mess into the title or something, yeah. you know. Whatever. Well, anyway, so anyway. When I heard that <laughs> Dean Savini wrote a biography, an autobiography. Oh. I said, you know what? Dan's birthday's coming up. Thank you. That, and, that, you know, and, and, and for the record, that's not a cheap commodity. It's a hardcover and it's a limited edition signed copy. Blake went to Pittsburgh and had music. <laughs> Bing bong. Mr. Savini. Hello, Mr. Savini. Can you please sign my thing? <laughs> Can you number it as well? 
though. So that's thank happy you so much. Happy birthday, my Happy friend. birthday. Oh, thank you. We're getting <coughs> old. Um, I mean, Savini doesn't have anything to do with the movie tonight. But we can make a continuous connection probably through special effects. <laughs> it's a very effect-heavy. Yeah. Um, let's see. Tonight we're doing an interesting... We're going way down the alley. And it will be interesting to see how many people enjoy this episode or, or have seen this movie. Uh, I feel like people our age and maybe older are probably have seen it or are familiar with it or know it. Yeah. Uh, people younger than us, I don't know. I mean, I would say people may not even know like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or any of those older uh, Walt Disney catalogs. We're doing uh, Darby, Gill and the Li- Darby O'Gill and the Little People from 1959. This is another thing that... You know, as we've discussed in our in our past adventures of talking about dun, 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 Disney, dun, 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 dun. whereas like you grew up a Disney kid, and yeah, I, and I didn't grow up a Disney kid so much, yeah. So uh, add as an addition to Savini, add Darby O'Gill and the Little <laughs> People onto the list of things that Dion introduced me to. You know, it, it, I think we all had a particular <laughs> childhood where, uh, which we were just talking about prior to us hitting record. Where we had the Sunday night Disney hour, and what was it called? The Wonderful World of Disney, it, or the Magical World? Years. It was for a while. It was the Magical World of Disney. Or back Disney in the, Color. Back in the yeah, it was like the Wonderful World of Color. Or back it, in the day, yeah, the Magical World Disney in the fifties. It was so it changed it over over the many decades. Yeah. it's changed uh, titles, and that was like a staple. But to me, on a it's Sunday. always just the Wonderful World of Disney. Yeah, even though I think during our prime viewing. Of like the mid to late eighties, it was called the magical world of Disney. Sure, but Sunday night—that was like a st- you turn on TV, must see TV, yeah. <laughs> turn on ABC, <laughs> and you'd have uh, you know uh, what's his face, Michael Eisner, come out uh, and you know give a little intro, and he'd have the characters there, and they talk a little bit. We've talked in prior casts about um, uh, about Michael Eisner, the story of all that. Um, up to this point, this is. Uh, well, to finish that thought out, so and then you'd be exposed to these movies that they would play, and you'd fi- half the time they would be, they would play an older movie like Darby O'Gill, Twenty Thousand Leagues, um, Swiss Family Robinson, a lot of the older catalog live action, Shaggy Dog, Sh- yeah, Shaggy with Fred, Fred uh, McMurray, the other guy from the Love Bug, um, who just passed away, um, or they would play newer stuff, Some, they, sometimes newer television remakes yeah of some of that old so stuff. they did like uh they remade the shaggy dog they've re um i still don't remember the name of it but it, there's an alan thick one where he's a professor and uh he he creates a son and the son is play a robot an android and he's played by the, the guy who's in the uh fantastic four we did here okay uh corman's movie he plays uh maybe the, the you know the, the son in that yeah. That actor, he plays him in the movie, and Alan Thicke's like the professor, and he goes to like the high school with Alan Thicke's daughter, and Alan Thicke's daughter has to like look out for him in high school, and he like you know they put like a trash compactor in his stomach yeah, so he yeah. can eat, and it was so popular they did a sequel. It's like my my, my kid, the computer side, forget. Oh, Mr. Boogity, or or the, the prime example, Mr. <laughs> Boogity, which yeah. was something that we've been requested surprisingly more than once on this cast to do. Mr. Boogity and the Bride, of, the Bride of Mr. Boogity, which is another movie I think I might have introduced you to. Yeah, I never even heard of Mr. Boogity. And that's something I watched when it aired and scared the shit out of me. And then I remember I was at a family, fr- a friend's, my, a family friend's party. They were having a big party over the house. And I remember it was like Sunday and I was like, you know, Disney's coming on. And I, remember <laughs> going, I remember going downstairs, going up to their TV, turning their TV on myself, tuning into ABC and watching maybe the bride of Mr. Boogity, like real close. Cause I was like, yeah, I yeah. knew it was coming on, you know, yeah. but that's where I saw for the first time, which we've done on this cast too, um, the F- flight of the navigator, 
Yeah. You know, on well, um, that's the thing. If you want a ba- if you want a back back more backstory into the whole Disney stuff, we we did Flight of Na- Flight of the Navigator, which is a perfect example of their that era of eighties live action Disney. And movie. we talk about I think how you saw that on television. Yep. Uh, we've done the black hole. Perfect example of s- the end of that '70s era that we're getting into with this movie tonight. And we've done uh, Beauty and the Beast, the animated version, the, the the classic, and that that's where we talked about just their animation. Yeah, and um, I feel so like we've done another one. Yeah, I feel like there's another one in the mix. Another Disney, because I mean, like Blake said, it's not Disney wasn't his cup of tea per se growing up. And look at it, we've done what five? I mean, I guess we. When we're getting almost close to 200 episodes, these are peppered in. But this is a great example of a um, of the early uh, live action. This is one of not one of the first, but it's in that era there of when Disney was branching out, which it's is probably pretty early, right? Yeah, I mean, this in is terms 59. of feature their their live action feature. Yeah, film. this is probably the th- third, fourth, or fifth, uh, starting with Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea and Treasure Islands in there. I think at some point too, uh, some of the, that order. Um, I get confused by, and then into the '60s, there's so many episodes, and then into the '70s, you get like Peach Dragon. Yeah, you know, you get a lot of that, like bug and stuff. Yeah, like that. just tons of love bug, love bug rides again, Herbie rides again. All the all the ones with that darn uh, cat with Kurt Russell. Yeah, the the, uh, the kid, the computer that wore tennis shoes. Yeah, uh, Escape from Witch Mountain. Those uh, uh, Freaky Friday. Um, um, a lot of those, you know, so you get like Jodie Foster, a lot of young people in the 60s and 70s were in these movies. So um, this, what was I saying before? We were talking about Darby O'Gill and uh, Disney in the 70s and then watching. So the the su- Sunday hour, you'd see all these movies, uh, either new or, or just reruns of this stuff. And then they'd also have that wonderful intro. And the intro of the Wonderful World or the Disney Hour would be this big montage of clips from their movies. It had the black hole where they're running across the thing and the, and the big meteors coming towards them that was in it or the banshee from this movie coming down. They always yeah. had like awesome clips. So you, you knew shots, you know, of our era. And then you we just- talk a little bit about <clears throat> the Sunday night stuff also in the Pee Wee Herman uh Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Big Adventure. Which was last year. Because when we talked about... um, Because I brought up this movie called The Wizard of Speed and Time, and that started as a short within a a movie magic special that was on Sunday night in promotion of the black hole. Yes, yes. In like 79. Yeah. 78, 79. Like a featurette or something or something. So the Disney... Info is peppered. Yeah, all you just go, you know, <laughs> peppered throughout the throughout Saturday our, Night our, Movie Sleepovers archive. Our experience, the, the this little um, adventure we're on right now. So this has been a, a big movie. It's weird this movie because it is such an eclectic and odd movie. It's like us like saying like, let's do the court jester, or some weird, weird. But, um, but this is one that Dion's wanted to do since we started the show. Yeah, uh, we did. Like, let's open up the show <laughs> <laughs> every week. No, no. <laughs> No. First episode, Dario. Come on. You're going to love it. I don't don't understand. (laughs) And this is also, we're doing it as well early to catch, like you said, St. Patrick's Day. And uh, a couple of years ago, we did another St. Patrick's Day favorite. We did State of Grace. (laughs) 
yeah. to celebrate <laughs> classic St. <laughs> Patrick's Day movie because that ends with a big shootout. Nah, I know they're well, in the St. Patrick's well, Day mo- and then there's a maybe big montage. Ne- maybe next year, what do God told me to? Yeah, and then there you go. There's we'll, also we'll, a, yeah. Pat- well, a big there's shootout. A, there's, I don't know if it's St. Patrick's Day, but there's definitely like no, a, is, yeah, a yeah, big yeah. New York yeah. uh, parade. And, and, and Andy Kaufman starts going crazy as a cop, which I think they they must have filmed. Yeah. Uh, fabulous movie Richard Lynch too That we were, we were talking about uh, Recently uh, Randy Jurgensen But that's another Movie that takes place Around St. Pete You don't got too many <laughs> So you gotta, you gotta you know, yeah, When you're making that list out <laughs> You gotta make them count And Darby's Has necessarily not Nothing to do with St. Patrick's Day For full disclosure We do have several Leprechaun movies We can also Dive into <laughs> in future The uh, actual future years. The actual title Is Leprechauns Yes um, But Darby is Irish related You know And I grew up with A lot of Irish around me A lot of my best friends Were Irish And I grew up uh, growing up in those households and their families and them having big parties and stuff like that and then going to, as I got older, going to bars that were pubs and uh, Irish pubs and then Blake knowing me, Blake would be dragged to those same places and you'd hear the music that was played there or you'd go over my friend's houses, Martin I always bring up. Yeah. You know. Uh, we lived in a... Uh, an Irish neighborhood. An Irish neighborhood. In Yonkers. The, the Yonkers Woodlawn border, which is... And this that's another funny... Sto- so I, and then um, a friend of mine... Or now ours, who I lived with and Blake lived with for a time, uh, Michael uh, Stratton, uh, he got married in 2006, uh, proposed to his wife. His wife submitted for a for a show on We Network called um, Oh Destination. I forget the name of the. It was a destination wedding show, um, and they were picked. So they needed to like get married within three months, uh, all expense paid. But we'd have to fly out. They would get married in Ireland, and it was. Two people for the episode. Luckily, the other people who were featured in the episode were kind of the people they made into the buffoonish, the, the antics, because yeah. that was a beach destination wedding. Uh, Michael's was a little more elegant and nice, and they kind of edited that so that they weren't like, you know, making fun of their side of the story. So he asked me to be one of his uh, best men, and we went to Ireland, and I was able to, in 2006, spend about a week in Ireland. And uh, he got married... Uh, off the Shannon River outside of Limerick, which is kind of like south. And south of that is uh, the Ring of Kerry in County Kerry, where this movie takes place. So the the day after the wedding, we got up, we were all hungover. I was practicing in the morning, stick in the back uh, of the hotel parking lot in the gravel. They had this big back uh, parking lot. And we drove, we all packed into a car, the people we had nothing to do. We drove down to the Ring of Kerry. And we were going to go around this big Ring of Kerry, which takes a couple hours. This is big, you know, like highway you got to go around this area. And it was getting late. We weren't feeling well because we were all hungover from the wedding. And we were like, Jesus, this is taking too long. Sun's starting to go down. We should really just turn around and go back. And uh, we pull over to a gas station on the highway. Uh, we little like little place that like looks like from like one of a roadhouse from you know America, where like just an old couple like running it. You know, yeah. it's a petrol station. So we go inside. He's there, and we start talking about trying to get directions to go back. And the guy's like, uh, Oh, you're American. And we're like, yeah. And he goes, where are you from? And, and we're like, uh, New York. And, he, and he's like, where? And then, you know, I was like, Yonkers. He's like, McLean Avenue. And that's where Blake and I lived. And he's yeah. like, many a night I've been drunk on McLean Avenue. And it's so funny to think that, like. And many a night we were drunk on McLean <laughs> Avenue. <laughs> you know, yeah. And it's just so funny. Like, I'm in the bottom of the ring of carry nowhere. I stop at a, ga- a petrol station. And this guy's. You know, we're, we're Blake and I used to live in Yonkers. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so we've been around the Irish uh, <laughs> for many, many years. And uh, I went to Catholic school, parochial school, for the first kindergarten, first, second, third grade. And then th- they put me in the public in fourth grade. But I remember 
in St. Stephen's second grade and third grade, the, the two years I was in that school, at uh, they would play us movies certain times during the year. And uh, if I recollect correctly, in second grade, they played for St. Patrick's Day, they played Darby Gill and the Little People. And that might have been, I'm trying to figure out what was first, if I saw that in class or if I knew about it because of my father, because my father has such an affinity for this movie. He loves this movie. And it was one of those movies that he would, you know, we would watch together. Yeah. So I can't remember if it was the chicken or the egg first, of what came first. But I, I remember watching that in class in second grade, and then we watched it again in third grade around St. Patrick's Day. Um, and they would bring the classes together, so like third and second and third and first would be all together. You know, yeah, yeah. you'd see the new kids watching it for the first time, you know. Uh, so that's how kind of, I guess I must have known the imaging, like the Banshee and the horror stuff from the Disney specials, you know, but then seeing it for the first time in, a, in, a, in an environment where people were completely sucked in, yeah. all my Irish friends who I grew up with, I met when I moved from the city to the suburbs in that Catholic school. So like Michael, Martin, we were all there and we're all sucked in. They knew about the movie. And um, growing up as well, when I got, by the time I got to the video store, I met another Irish kid who knows the families because the families all know each other. And he also had a huge affinity for this movie, had a big crush on, uh, what's her face, Janet Monroe, uh, Monroe in this yeah. movie, Monroe, um, and uh, knew this like the back of his hand and, you know, and, and his family loved it growing up. So it's interesting to think that it, you know, when you watch the movie, maybe some of the a accents are a little, eh, you know, on the people who may not be Irish. But it seems from my perspective of growing up with people who are, who are Irish that this is a very well, like up there with The Quiet Man, yeah. the John Wayne movie. This Darby O'Gill is also a, a movie that they really love, you know, a f uh, that presents the Irish culture in such a loving uh, manner. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that's it. That's Darby O'Gill and Little People. Yeah, keep them on more. Yeah. Um, and then... I mean, do you remember, did we watch this together in 2004 when we lived together? Or did I we... I think this might have been my first full viewing of it. This, tonight, when yeah. we watched it, because it came out on DVD. I've definitely seen scenes from it, but... Yeah. I mean, and maybe I'm just recollecting those scenes from when we watched it, and I just don't remember watching the whole thing. Because they came out with box sets around 2001 or two um, of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and yeah. they came out with not a box set, but just a nice DVD release of this. With special features, and what I do remember is you and I watching. We maybe we did a special features. We <laughs> did definitely watch the special features. We and watched we that in the twenty. I think twenty thousand leagues under the sea. We may have watched the movie twenty thousand leagues under the sea, but I don't know. I don't recall if we us watching all of this movie. And I remember we were floored by uh, at the time watching those special features and seeing how they did stuff and being amazed at. Well, it is amazing. You know, we were like, you know, Disney puts out such amazing stuff. Like the special features were amazing that they, they did all this stuff. They got Connery uh, of the era when it came out. So that's around when he was probably doing League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or maybe before. They got him to talk about this, which is awesome. They didn't just get archival clips. Yeah. And they did these great featurettes. And it's like you, what you were about to say. It's amazing the stuff that they were able to accomplish that still, for the most part, looks really good today. Not even you know for I mean? the most part. <laughs> I mean, almost entirely. It, yeah. It's, uh, it holds up, what is that, 60 years? Maybe, yeah, that's 60 years ago, 1959, 61 yeah. years. And it holds up really well because of how they did it. Yeah. I mean, it holds up better than movies from the 70s and 80s. <laughs> movies Especially some of the early CGI stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it definitely... It has aged really well. I mean, yeah. Considering that 1959. Um, but, I mean, 
it's Disney. I mean, what can you say? I mean, he Walt Disney created a company that pioneered movie magic. Yeah. You know, I mean, before, okay, I mean, you could say, you could, if you could, <laughs> you could put a timeline together, you'd be like, oh, you know, Melies. Sure. You know, the silent French stuff, you know, and then guys like Buster Keaton were doing a lot of really, like with Sherlock Jr., there's a lot of in-camera stuff. But, and then we flash forward to, as we've talked at length about in past episodes of like George Lucas. Yeah. Creating ILM and, um to do Star Wars, but there's, you know, be- between like the silent era and then George Lucas, there's Disney. Yeah. And whether it's cr- creating movie magic through animation, which he, uh, you know, undeniably did, uh, they, he, he and his company definitely did it for live action also, starting with, like, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah. And, you know, going through this movie is a perfect example of, you know, again, I'm like a broken record that one of the best things about revisiting some of these movies is you get to see, like, the evolution of special effects (laughs) and movie magic and how things look and how they hold up. and, And we... Through during the show, we do research to see how you know things were done or how the movie was made, blah blah blah, and uh, you know we did labyrinth. You know, I, I think that's one of the first times I said like this is you know a movie that's you know utilizing every puppet technique and movie magic technique available at the time to make that happen. Yeah, up until eighty six. You know, and yeah. then uh, Total Recall was another one. Sure. Uh, this is another one of those movies. Surprisingly, obviously a different, very different kind of movie. Yeah, but dealing in fantasy and uh, basically utilizing everything that's available in 1959. Who framed Roger Rabbit's another one of those. Who we framed did. Roger Rabbit's, which is 87, <laughs> not 88, 87. Uh, uh, it's just that like, it's been really. That's one of my favorite things about doing this podcast. Um, in terms of the movies themselves, is being able to go back and look because I mean, look, that's what it. I mean, that's what movies are. I mean, they are they're magic, and and this show obviously has a very nostalgic slant to it and think that those are the things that stick with you when you're a kid yeah because you know even though we're of the gener the first generation to really have the making of the behind the scenes yeah we're of we're from we grew up in the 80s and the 90s and in the 80s is when like special effects guys became because of because of things like star wars special effects guys became rocks the rock yeah. stars of tom movie. savini guys like tom savini and uh, Rick Baker. Yeah. Uh, you know, all that stuff was happening when we were kids and we were kind of coming of age. And so we grew up with all that stuff. And so even though we were of a generation that was given a peek behind the curtain at special effects, it's still, as a kid, you're able to, I think, you know, 
ingest it and digest it in a way where because your imagination's still running wild yeah and it seems real yeah there's a level of believability there that's just and this is a perfect example of like how throughout the the history of cinema it's a timeless notion yeah you know darby o'gill and the little people uh because even you know which i'm sure dion will dive into at length (laughs) in the future of this episode disney even wanted he even he was like there's leprechauns in this movie yes he was pulling like a you know castle (laughs) you know like uh you know throwing the wool over the he wanted everybody to believe like no this is not movie magic we this is actual magic what what is we went to ireland and i struck a deal (laughs) with with the king of leprechauns brian connors is there is there an equivalent i was trying to think of a cinema a cinema equivalent where they were trying to and there's got to be where they're trying to say like no we actually you know uh i well blair witch project for example i remember seeing that when it first came out and the idea being that it was real and i and then i remember seeing a special effects, uh, a special uh, behind-the-scenes documentary on maybe sci-fi about it, and that was they probably threw more money in that documentary than they <laughs> the did the movie. movie. Yeah. And that was like interviewing like the sheriff of yeah, the town, and they and did all these extra stuff. And I thought it was real, and I was like, oh my god, they did. They shot footage of a serial killer from the forties. Remember that? And they sure. had like, and it looked, that looked real. Some of the marketing for Texas Chainsaw Massacre might have been <clears throat> trying to, because I remember there's taglines on posters, and I don't know if it's a somewhat of a more recent poster or if it's an original poster the tagline was like Texas Chainsaw Massacre it happened <laughs> yeah it really some guy you know dressed I mean? up in woman's <clears throat> skin and ran out in the moonlight and people talk about how when Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out the gritty feel of it sure. blah 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 well those are different made, yeah. it, made it feel like it was a documentary I perhaps yeah actually I think that movie is beautifully Shot and it's probably changing the world. I mean, you got Night of Living Dead a couple years before, but Ch- Texas really kind of redefined the horror then and there. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know if that would be the birth of torture porn or, but which, it's certainly some kind of proto. Yeah, but it's not. It. And then it's quite clean, like the shower scene in Psycho, comparatively. Yeah, yeah. But you know, but then like you know, Blair Witch had that. Where then, then I remember even there being a huge but, New York Post article like, "It's Frank. We found the actress. She's an actress." <laughs> you know, it's like it was a front page, and I remember being at my di- the, the liquor store my dad's friends owned. I'm I looking guess at that it. That is a movie we should you know, do at some point. Blair Witch. Even though I'm not a huge fan of it, sure, it was. Yeah, I remember it was terrifying was in the theater. Deal. The thing that blew me in the theater blew me. Wow, was that? Since we were in school at the time, uh, college, technically, when we're watching, I'm like, they can't be doing this. They have, they don't have any lights. Well, you know, I was like, they're gonna run out of film. That's, you know, it's like so, like so, like yeah. the, some of the tech savviness was getting me, which was annoying sure. because at that time, and when we went to film school, we ended up, uh, you know, for there was like a year or two where we couldn't enjoy a movie because all we were doing were like dissecting it in certain ways, how this yeah. was being done, the narrative or whatever. But there's so there's movies like that that end up having and this was something that yeah Walt Disney was like no like you said uh, there's a whole special we can get into where he's like no we went to Ireland we found which was which aired on on the wonderful world of Disney the Sunday night Disney yeah it show. was um, season f- season 5 episode 6 of the wonderful world of Disney in 54 uh, he goes uh, and which is a great because they included on, as a special feature on that um, Disney um, DVD which is now all on Disney plus you get disney plus that sometimes people forget i think 
practically all their live actions are yeah. these movies are on. Actually, they should have the special features, but I don't think they do. Oh, see, that would be good if you had they like a little. They should have like because they do have like, like a drop menu. extra. Yeah, they do have like extras, and I think for this one or twenty there's just leaks? like a seed from it. No, they should have the whole. Uh, well, sometimes there's the trailer, but they should fucking put that shit on. Yeah, if they, there, I mean, man. if it's if they've already produced it and it's sitting there uh, as a special, de- uh, special Throw it feature, on the server. yeah, fucking do it, upload <laughs> it. It's already there. Just hit enter. Uh, but Disney was doing this for a while. I mean, there's the famous uh, um, uh, Gene Kelly movie, which I never remember the damn name of, where he's dancing with the so- the uh, Arabian oh yeah s- sailors, and then Jerry. You know, so people were tinkering. We we go back. We talk about this at length in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but they were tinkering with the live action with uh, animated uh, elements in the same frame together, interacting. Uh, you have Disney does that a little bit with the Reluctant Dragon, Song of the South, which um, that has a level of interaction with sure, her. Inter- well, Peach Dragon, Peach Dragon in the seventies, and um, I think his. Disney's first idea was they were going to animate the, the Mary leprechauns. Poppins. Mary Poppins has that. That's a very famous uh, example. Bed knobs and broomsticks, I think. Uh, but they were going to animate the leprechauns in this, and then they figured out, no, we don't need to. And this is also a great example of early Peter uh, Ellenshaw, yeah. who is the freaking master. He should be up there alongside all these other greats of the uh, matte painting and special effects. Uh, his last film being The Black Hole, yeah. where his son Harrison Ellenshaw. Uh, did with him, and then Harrison went on and did stuff into the. I think he's the guy who helmed the Disney projects. He might be Flight of the Navigator. He might do. Yeah, yeah. But they really pioneered. Yeah, he's you know he's Hall of Fame. Yeah, Peter Ellen and his father Peter Ellenshaw, who's on this movie and all these movies of this era, really just uh, you know you'd see these beautiful matte paintings you'd see in like the old studio movies or twenty uh, like Ten Commandments and stuff. But uh, the real. Uh, I don't know, the, the, like the breadth of the of what the what it helps aids the story yeah. when you can't actually put like in Treasure Island all these you know three mast vessels in a harbor together they just paint them all yeah. you know and then it, and then you know we talked about this process before over glass and then the camera shoots through the glass to the, what the live action and then it looks like it's one shot um, that's crude a crude example of it but it's just like you just think of how it aided. The storytelling it's just amazing and then a lot of it was used here brilliantly where you think they're in ireland and this is they're shooting in california either on sound stages or i think they went out and did some day stuff like yeah. i don't know in the valley or burbank yeah, or whatever Monarch valley or something you know like, like that. that but it's to me you can't really even tell because the the beautiful uh, map paintings just disguise everything and then um for us re-watching the special features for this Going into the uh, how they did some of this, they also used the matte painting to like hide some of the borders of the different uh, the special effect, the live action special effects they were doing, which is another stroke of brilliance. Sure. Well, they'd have it like almost a um, a three a three tier system where you know if you're looking through like three dimensions, where the in the foreground there'd be like a piece of glass with stuff ar- with stuff around it to hide seams. Then you're shooting through the glass and you're seeing the live action, and then further down in the background there's some other live action, and then there's another wait behind that there's something else and it's yeah, uh, and yeah. it, the lens just looks at all like 2d can't tell the difference that it that there's dimension there because of our unlike our eyes well like the town you know there's you know they just for the facades of of the buildings yeah. and, and things and rascullen and he went the in town. And, and built the the painted the church in and put the painted the roofs on and the, yeah the chapel <laughs> the, 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 you know, everything is all yeah they just did they just um 
They just built what they need to. And that's also the genius of that. Yeah, we talk a a bit about, if I recall correctly, it's been a few years. But my guess is we probably also talk about matte painting and Escape from New York. Yeah. Because I think James Cameron was one of the people that did some of the back painting sure from New York. and we talk about it in the black hole episode too because yeah, for sure because that was disney and yeah they they invented a new technique where they wanted to go rent uh dykstra's camera that he'd used ilm used on star wars and then they were kind of like going to give him this astronomical rate and they're like screw it we'll just invent it on ourselves and they invented something a little beyond the the dykstra cam that he did um where they disney pioneered the being able to pan within the frame from live action up into a matte painting because usually you have to keep the ca- the camera and the lens um uh, static not moving for your shot of whatever your live action is doing and then you know and then your matte painting is so it doesn't look weird but they were able to figure out through i guess use of elementary kind of computers uh primitive you know uh programs to just be able to have the live action and then be able to have the camera pan up into your matte painting. So the example being of in the black hole when they first get on the deck of uh, the bridge of the Cygnus, they walk out of the elevator and then the, the cast looks up and then you look up with them and you see above them all those people with the masks on, the zombies, you know, tending to the robots, quote unquote, yeah. tending to the bridge, you know. So they were doing all this crazy stuff. You know, that's again, Ellen Shaw, the both Ellen Shaws and stuff. And here, I think they said at the time, Disney was the only facility that had its own effects department on site. So you had at the time, in this movie, you have the uh, matte painting effects, and then you have this other huge element here that we haven't talked about yet, which is this neat little thing called forced perspective. Yeah. And boy, do they use forced perspective to its its uh, true, true uh, uh, invention, how, how you can use it, because it's just amazing. Through use of for, for force perspective, they're able to have these leprechaun people interact with regular size people. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's just to think about. I mean, clearly, uh, it it wasn't in, probably not invented for this, but by the, by fifty nine, I, I mean this film was still relatively young medium. I mean, we're talking about the first move the first motion pictures are like 1890 something, mm-hmm. right? And those are just like the train pulling into the station. Yeah. Or you the know. elephant getting electrocuted. <laughs> <laughs> let's el- let's electrocute an elephant and record it and send it around the world. <laughs> People will pay money to see that. That was the original sleepover class. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> of the of the faces of death category. <laughs> that, you wanna, yeah, that's when we do our faces of death episode. We researched the earlier. Uh, um, God bless you. And then pretty soon into the, you know, the, so like, you know, the first 10 years or first few years are just like the Lumiere brothers going around and shooting shit in the town. Sure. And then showing it to those people yeah. that night. And the people like, Pissing their pants, <laughs> you know. People, like you said, th- there's that famous train coming into the station where people screamed and ran out of the theater because yeah, the, the train was going to hit them. Was gonna hit them. You know, because um, the train was on the platform and it was coming in and it went by it. I mean, that's only forty years. You know, I guess 50, 60 years. It's less time, probably, from us to this back then. Fifty, or at least amount the same amount yeah. of time. You know what I mean? So. Um, you know, we're not mathematicians. <laughs> we don't purport to know math. <laughs> Which is ironic, because what I'm getting at is 
the technical know-how and mathematics that go into doing something oh, like this. It's, uh, but uh, for scale and stuff, you know, it's just it's all. My point is that like we're still just by fifty nine. Even though it seems like you know film had come so far, and fifty sixty years sixty years is a lot of time. I mean, in in the evolution of an art form. It's it was still pretty young, so yeah. they were still pioneering, and so even though some of these techniques were obviously were created earlier, I mean, map paintings were used in uh, like Wizard, of Wizard, of Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind. Which, Wizard of Oz, we've covered here, yeah. Um, and we talk about Disney because Disney was going to do that, like, yeah. first, but uh, it's still they're still inventing things. They're still figuring out stuff and in the case of Darby Girl and the Little People like refining it and yeah. perfecting it and my point was only like somebody had to figure that out at some point that like if we like oh you know what probably um, I wouldn't be surprised if they you know obviously there was photography before uh, cinematography but somebody had to have recognized like oh like these two things in the in this picture or in this frame they're really, really far apart, and but you, we but the camera can't tell that. Somebody had to figure that out, and then there was just like decades of f- like refining that and figuring out how that worked. And you know, as I was said two seconds ago, I mean, there's a lot of math involved. I know, yeah, it's insane. <laughs> you know, because you have to figure out, you have to be consistent. Yeah, you know, you can't have the leprechauns in the movie. They'll be various sizes. <laughs> yeah, be like for five inches in this movie yeah. in this shot and then 20 inches in the next shot. They have shot. to set a bar It has of... to be like they always have to be X amount of feet from the camera Yep. in relation to Darby O'Gill's character. It's just, it's a lot of figuring out and apparently the director Robert Stevenson had come from like some kind of crazy mathematics background. Well, there you go. And so he ended up being really uh, essential uh, like the right person for the job because he was very good at figuring out like in his head like okay to make this work we have to they have to set like a standard of what they're gonna uh, you know how they're gonna do it the entire movie or... I mean it's just not artistry there's like engineering and mathematics and a science that has to be yeah. utilized to execute this our creative vision and then having your scale with your sets that's the other thing it's like they're not just putting two people you know, a distance away in, in matching the eye line, they're actually then building the sets yeah. to look seamless. So if Darby's sitting on a on a bench in his stable drinking whiskey with the leprechaun, the the leprechaun who is well, well do we need to discuss force for what force perspective is? I mean, just the the way it's shot is that <clears throat> it's in camera. Yeah, so it's like if, if if I'm a leprechaun and Blake's Darby O'Gill, they'll have Blake sit close to the camera and then they'll have me behind Blake maybe 20, 30 feet away to whatever, whatever far enough away to get to size they want me to be. And then what's very important is they match our eye lines up. So I'll look up, Blake will look down and they'll match correctly yeah. where... So, so it looks, it looks like, like we're looking at each other, not just like yeah. looking next to something. So know? that's one thing, doing it like that. What Disney then does is Disney built sets around that. So if Blake's supposed to be in a stable, they'll bl- build Blake's part of the set, and then they'll build my part of the set 30 feet away, enlarged, so it looks seamless to the frame, 
but it looks like I'm standing next to Blake on like a be- on the bench or something. And, you know, so, yeah. it's, so it's like so it's something that you know in more recent examples, like Peter Jackson uses a lot of it in Oh the, sure, yeah. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, if you if you go, and that's to, why it looks so good. That yeah. stuff. If you go to like, um, if you take a tour of the Warner Brothers lot in California, uh, which you have, yeah, which uh, I've been lucky enough to do a couple of times. Um, once uh, as just like I paid for it and then the, the uh, and then I went back with somebody that worked on something there so I got to kind of walk around and not be part of a group but just kind of free range we <laughs> talked about that Join John Lloyd Young on this yeah, yeah. yeah and then from Jersey but Boys. The, with the last stop on the tour is like the uh is you know where before you get to the gift shop they walk you through and things and you get to see like Christopher Reeves's suit wow. from Superman yeah or uh, the like the uh, blimp type thing with the from Blade Runner oh yeah with the, yeah, with with the like advertisement yeah, with like the Japanese girl yeah on yeah, it. yeah um you know the miniature of that there's the set from Friends oh with the couch yeah or oh, no the co- cafe or the yeah, like yeah, it's the it's the coffee shop. Yeah, um, and one of the things they have that you can go and you could take a picture at is they have like a little Hobbit house. A Hobbit, <laughs> and so you can go and if Deanna and I were together, I could sit in one chair. Oh, Deanna could sit oh. in another chair, and then you step and you stand on like the mark they, they have to like, take the picture, and it looks oh, and it a- looks like you know Dion's a Hobbit, and like I'm an average person. Well, I know vice, we're doing our next trip, vice versa. <laughs> you know they have it there, and, and the set is made so that like we're sitting at a table together, and it's seamless, and it's seamless. So it's, that stuff is just brilliant. I mean, it's just the thing to come up with all that, and. Um, and then to employ it perfectly, you know, they could have easily, like we said, they could have animated it, or they could have tried to just maybe do an optical printing shot, an effect shot, sure. where well, they just, just lay in. How effective it was that in the day of you know, forty, fifty years later, how Peter Jackson decided to do it, sure, was to do it the same way Disney did it, did it, yeah, because it was the perfect way to do yeah, it, because it doesn't look and like. I'm sure there's action shots were CGI and special effects and other special effects are involved in um, in Lord of the Rings. Sure. But in the scenes where it could be utilized, that's the way he did it because yeah. that was and still is the best way to get that effect. Yeah. And, and Disney figured that out, how to perfect that. Yeah. In 60 years ago, whatever yeah. it is. Um, the, the, the director... Um, Robert Stevenson had done uh, a bunch of movies before. Uh, noteworthy King Solomon's Mines in 37, which is a Started movie. as a screenwriter in 29, uh, 28, yeah. 1928. And then uh, did a whole bunch of stuff in, I think, both England and America. Yeah. And then um, he went on to do a bunch of Disney live action stuff. I think we brought up King Solomon's Mines briefly, maybe in the Indiana Jones podcast. Cause I'm Temple Raiders. of Doom or Raiders? Raiders, because I think I watched that because it, w- it also had that pulp kind of an era. Um, but he ended up doing with Disney before that. He did Old Yeller, which is fifty-seven classic. So that must be one of the first couple, you know, yeah, because that's prior to this. Because I, if I remember correctly, I think uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues is fifty-five. I think uh, he did Darby. He did Absent-Minded Professor, which is uh, sixty-one. He did Son of Flubber, which is I think those are both Fred McMurray films. He did Mary Poppins in sixty-four. That Darn Cat sixty-five. The No Mobile in sixty-seven. The Love Bug 68, 
Uh, Blackbeard's Ghost, 68. Bedknobs and Broomsticks, 71. Herbie Rides Again, 74. And Shaggy DA in 76. So he was employed by Disney. Yeah, he, you know, Disney's like, we like your work. You're going to keep you on a retainer. Which is, he didn't do them all, but he's doing... And if you think about all those ones we've mentioned, those are pretty good... I mean, aside from Old Yeller, um, you know, Son of Flubber, uh, Absent Professor Mary Poppins, those are all very heavy, uh, you know, effects movies. Yeah. Mary Poppins for, you know, like we just said... Um, the gnome mobile, I think they're all like, uh, what's his name? Howard the Gnome. So it's like them getting into cars, driving around with people talking to small people. Yeah, yeah. So it's basically them using this the forced perspective again. Uh, you know, and then Herbie rides again and the shaggy DA or, you know, all It like, is crazy to think that, I don't know, was it five years ago, six years ago when we, we went out to Burbank? Yeah, about five, 2013, we, 14. I guess it's longer than that, right? And so we were six, seven years around. Ago? Oh, the, oh, hit the, the we Disney. Went to, we went to the Disney. We, we, oh. we got to go and oh, walk, around, sakes. walk around the Disney lot. And I'm taking my we, handkerchief out and just brushing my brow because it was like it's a it's an active studio. Uh, yeah. Studio, and I don't think they do public tours the way they do not do public tours the way Warner Brothers and Paramount and, and Universal well, do. As of when we went, who yeah. knows what they're doing now? But I don't think they still. You have so to like you we have to be asked on. So we didn't get to go and like look inside the stages and like you know walk around and see what they were doing i mean we got to walk around the lot and we got to see where the anime the old animation building was we got to walk through that and the new animation building but you would you, you would walk by and they would have you know most like of these plaques. places will have plaques to say like what films were shot in those sound stages and i said like you walk by and like fucking mary poppins was shot yeah in that building. they recorded the, and that the, means like Dick Van Dyke and Julie Andrews walked down this path. Yeah, and to get went to in there. You know, they <laughs> built the uh, the water tank one, the biggest one, for twenty thousand leagues, and that was the one where they shot the Pirates of the Caribbean on. And they also, I I think, this is correct. They loan it out a lot too. So if you mm-hmm. have other big water kind of movies where you need boats or whatever, they shoot there, and it's amazing to see these. Um, these plaques that say like they recorded the black hole soundtrack there or every voice recording up until I think it was like little mermaid was recorded in this. So you think of how many actors from the, from the, when they moved uh, maybe in the early forties from the Hi- Hyperion place to there had walked in there and recorded their dialogue. I mean, you know, you think about all the people who've, any movie you've ever saw, you know, they're going into in the morning. Come on in. How you doing, Jimmy? You know, yeah, and yeah. it was, you know, aside from us not going into these sound stages, I think it was the next best thing where we were able to go in. We went into the, the cafeteria. We ate lunch at the, the cafeteria that everyone since the 40s have been eating in. Yeah. We took pictures in the uh, phone booths, remember, that we both. Uh, I think that's one of my profile pictures maybe on Twitter. Uh, and then we were able to walk down these uh, streets, which were Disney designed all himself, and that uh, some of those are featured in that Reluctant Dragon short, uh, as well as actually we were able to go through the Disney Animation Building, walk through, which is no longer the building anymore. But we went to the newer building with the hat on it from yeah, Fantasia. Yeah. So it's just, a, and then they're putting up like we said in other casts, you know, that that was um, his office. You know, we're like looking up there, and it's like it's just, uh, it's just. Or we went into the Frank Wells building, yeah. you know, where they had all the other effects and glass, the props and stuff. But it's because I think that like the bulk of this movie it was shot there. Was shot in one of those buildings. Yeah, and it's it's supposed to be Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just it's it's mind blowing. You know, we did last year. We we did a uh, 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 rear window, uh, Alfred Hitchcock. So we got into. Uh, effects of the era, fifties lights and stuff, and miniatures, and well, how they did that. Uh, that's something that's I think really important yeah. for something like this. The I, 
the, here's and the that prob- movie's 54. The problem with... Uh, I think. One of the issues with forced perspective would be keeping two things... When you're creating distance between two things and making them look like they're next to each other, one of the big issues would be focus. Yeah. One of the ways... Uh, the only real way, especially back then when you're you know pre-digital and all this stuff, because digital is a little more forgiving with depth of field in terms of things that are in focus and not in focus. But on film, and we're talking about we've done we've talked about uh, back in '59 to even get an image on the film, you needed a lot of light. Yeah, unless you're outside and it was like sunny. But when you're inside, you needed to really light the hell out of the place. And these are just, hot lights just to get an image. Yeah, but to uh, there's something technical happens within the camera and within the lens that the more light there is. Uh, the brighter it is, the like the depth of field changes so that things look like they're more in focus. You know, so, so if, like Dion's sitting in the foreground and I'm sitting in the background. If you're focused on Dion, I'll be uh, out of focus. But the more light you hit it and you adjust the aperture of the lens, the, as you close the aperture of the lens and you get more light, aperture making so that you know, letting in the light to hit the film. Um, like your eyeball, when you, you know, you put in a, shine a light in your eye, your, your uh, pupil gets smaller. Think of the lens the same way. As you get more light, you close the aperture because um, you need less light to hit the film. As that happens, the depth of field changes so that more things become in focus. Uh, it's. It, I, I'm sure it doesn't make any sense the way I'm explaining it. But my point is... Welcome to my life. To, <laughs> <laughs> to make sure that Darby and the, the Leprechaun King were in fo- both in focus, so it looked like they were sitting next to each other, they needed an obscene amount of light. Now, we talked and about... And most of that, and all that stuff is, for the most part, is happening indoors. Yeah, we talked about that in Rear Window, how they needed so much light to be able to change... The different they had different cues where they'd have like dawn, day, afternoon, night. Yeah, and you think of how old, and we bullet the Steve McQueen movie. We talked about the the you know the pioneering ways, and that's how they were starting to do more stuff on location as opposed to a studio. Yeah, but this with these lights, these huge old, uh, heavy, bright lights, they needed something like six hundred and forty nine lights up on on their grid to shoot, and it was so. Isn't there's a rumor that they actually like every time they would turn it off or turn it on, it would it would like it would short would, the power the substation. Yeah, there'd be like a blackout in Burbank every time like, at the end of every shooting day because they're just they're taking so much. You imagine what their you, you their, their Con Ed bill was that month. I mean, it's just so that they're using and how hot it is. Yeah, because it's one thing to okay, we figure out the math. For force perspective, we're going to put him X amount of feet away from the camera. We're going to put Darby X amount of feet away from the camera. We got to build, uh, you know, the sets to match and all that mathematics stuff. Okay, but now to make that work on celluloid on the film, we need to, you know, it needs to be hotter than the sun. In here. <laughs> 
and there'd be I'm sure like they would have to probably like midday like open up those big doors just to air out the place because yeah. I'm sure it was like an oven that's like like Texas Chainsaw Massacre remember they're shooting at night and they blacked out the window they're shooting during the day yeah. they blacked out the windows for it to be a nice sequence or they're, they're it's like 130 degrees on there yeah and they're, they're with the food going off yeah, every 20 minutes poor- Guys dressed up in leprechaun costumes, which do not look like they don't, they don't look like they breathe. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all velvet and felt. You know, it's all real heavy polyester, whatever that old. Because even you know, I was looking at Connery's trousers, and they're like, Jesus, it's like heavy material. You know, it's all that old. So you think that they're shooting, and none of them look like they're sweating. I mean, it's just um, amazing to think of all that. You know, and then who knows what the hell the kind of makeup they're using back then. You know, yeah. on your skin, but it's just, uh, it, and it, it look all of it. I can't. You can't. 99% of the time you can't fault any of it you know none of it none of it you th- you're thinking like oh well you know I mean I watching it tonight because I'm knowing where to look I'm, I was starting to see kind of some of the outlines sure but to a child or someone watching and then especially for the Disney special we just referenced where uh, we could talk about in a second where Disney uh does this big thing about going and, and trying to find the leopard, the leopard, the the leprechaun king? When they're showing clips of the movie in black and white, black and white aids in another hundred percent because black and white just you yeah. can't tell any kind of any flaw you might conceivably perceive through color when you're seeing it in the movie disappears in black and white. Yeah, it's just the next another coat of coat of gloss and it looks yeah. phenomenal. Well, I mean, you know, kind of what the end referencing is and we talked about how they use some map paintings to hide some of that stuff but if you're going to have a piece of the set you know be quote unquote regular size for Darby O'Gill's character and then you're going to have a piece of the set you know where everything is made to be bigger so that the leprechauns look smaller in the context of like Darby's feet or and it's supposed to be the same but you're trying to make create a shot where everything is in the same shot, so they're supposed to match. They're supposed to look like the same exact location. Not not only do you have to get the size right, but you have to get the colors right. Yeah, you know, it's like sometimes you know back in our back in our day <laughs> when we were kids and you would, we would watch cart- Sunday like uh, weekday afternoon cartoons. Sure, sure. And you you could tell that even as a kid, like okay, like they're on a cliff or whatever, and the 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 background is a, is a static cell yeah and then you have the animation of like the two G.I. Joe guys in front yeah you can always tell like that's the rock that's gonna fall yeah because it's a different color it's, it's slightly, a different color <laughs> it's slightly different and then you see it dun, 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 dun. that's Transformers though but it's like you see yeah so you always yeah, you know what was gonna happen that one's gonna be the one that falls or the shitty because some other guy painted that yeah or the shitty Hanna-Barbera you know I love Hanna-Barbera to death but the shitty when they really got into their animation in the 70s where it'd be like they would draw they, they were trying to cheapen it so much it'd be Scooby doing Shaggy in a shot and all they're animating are the arms so the, yeah. the arms are a completely different shade to the body and, or sometimes it'd be the wrong color it's probably because two different guys yeah they had you know? the color and they, they, they make for the, uh, that's a whole technical thing but they make like color sheets yeah color wheel oh, yeah, yeah, well, for well. people to look okay like this is what Shaggy looks like. It's this color green and all that. Yeah. But still, I mean, when you got so many people working on stuff. Day after day, and you're trying to mix colors. So, But my point is only, like, if you can, if there's even the, the most subtle change in color between the the two parts of the set involving the leprechauns and, the, and Darby O'Gill, you'll notice it. Yeah. It'll look fake. And here, 
you don't understand. So Dan's any. saying when you have black and white, you eliminate like a whole other aspect of trickery. Yeah, that you and have it just to worry looks, about. It just looks amazing. And I mean, not only does then Disney up the ante by doing forced perspective, he ups the ante a second time and says, "Yeah, motherfuckers, look what I can do." And he throws his shit down into the table. He has scenes where. Darby, remember when he goes into the uh, into the uh, the fairy mountain? I think it's called. Um, he's walking past the leprechauns, and he's and it looks like he's walking like they clear a path. Yeah, and he's like, there's shots of his feet. There's leprechauns in the foreground. He his big his big legs walking by, and then there's leprechauns on the other side of him. And it's like, how the hell? And you come to find out, well, they had. Uh, puppets in the foreground of guys just doing like like puppets then you have actually the actor walking yeah uh, you know they made puppets that would be the size of that you want so say darby o'gill's 20 inches tall or whatever so they have puppets that are that size so they look not not darby the leprechauns i mean the leprechauns so they look in relation proper in the relation to darby o'gill's legs yeah so like that's how you create the fact that he can have people in the foreground and then Behind him are the peop- real people. So what they did was they just put him up on like a uh, like a platform, and they shot up there Darby. So the camera's close on his feet. You have the puppets in the foreground, Darby walking by. You know, it's only the shots only maybe yeah. up to his waist. So you see his legs. He's walking, and then if you think about it, down beyond the platform, down on the the studio floor, are the other leprechauns, and then yeah. you. You fake. This is all technical the, yeah. visual stuff that does n- is not translating. Yeah. For a you fake the <laughs> you fake the floor so you can't tell the difference, and suddenly it looks like he's just walking down, you know, with these people on either side. It's just it's. You know what movie we did cover on yes. the on the movie on the show where we talk a lot about it's, this? What's it's, it called? The house right? or the, the gate. gate? The gate. Yeah, because the gate does a lot of this brilliantly yeah. with those little guys, and it's probably aided for oh, for some of this. Yeah, you and know, they, I mean, yeah, I mean, they do it. We might have even brought this up in, in, when we're talking about Probably. it. Probably. Uh, but yeah, you see them all running around in close-up. It's guys in outfits, which is scary, those those little uh, monster demons that they are. And then they did a lot of it brilliantly where they're doing the kid's room. And like when the when the the construction worker falls or, you know, they have oh, them, you know, the like... Gate, yeah. yeah, it's all... And then you see them running around. They did all that. I mean, even another brilliant show which um, doesn't always get its due, but he got a shout-out in the Quentin Tarantino movie, the last well, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is um, uh, Irwin Allen's um, Land of the Giants, where the, the premise of the show is some people are taking like a space plane into to, to, on a flight into the atmosphere, something happens, and they come back down, and they're on a different planet. And suddenly they're small, and they're in a world of giants you know, that are humans, and they're hiding. Every episode they're hiding. And every, nothing ever gets done, because you know, they're always <laughs> hiding from... But the point, so they have to build these sets where these little people are running around and it's amazing to think every episode the money that must be spent because they're having to make offices and like sockets and them interacting with uh tables and phones and and it's and that stuff also looks brilliant you know and very occasionally do you have like a big fake arm come in you know like darby had that in one scene here yeah uh but so when you keep that to a minimum of trying to double uh the big person grabbing a leprechaun or something like that everything just looks phenomenal everything else um so coming back around if we if we get back on the road you have uh disney's doing his his animated stuff we've gone into that within the beauty and the beast cast everyone said he couldn't do what he was going to do with 
Snow White. Nobody would watch a feature-length animated movie. Yeah, that's you know that's a poppycock, as uh, our friend Joe likes to say. Um, so he does that, <laughs> and so much so he's got like Clark Gable like weeping. Uh, at the end of Snow White in the theater, supposedly, in the, in the screening. Everyone's like, oh, my God. So he has a successful run of all these animated movies. You know, The War's On, he does shorter ones and stuff like that. And then in the 50s, he starts, or maybe in the 40s, um, we're scrubbing the dates here, he starts doing some live-action interaction where you have, like, The Reluctant Dragon or or uh, uh, Song of the South, which may come after this, where, you know, uh, animated live-action around the same kind of a thing. So since the 40s, uh, Disney was thinking for some reason he had read the work of um, uh, an Irish uh, no I'm sorry an English writer called Hermi- Hermine Her- Hermione Hermione Templeton Cavanaugh yeah. H.T. Cavanaugh or, or, yeah we went the hard route but or known as H.T. Cavanaugh and she's a short story writer uh, only wrote a couple things was married to a the Chicago judge um but she wrote, uh, she died in 1933, uh, so she was alive around the turn of the century, of the 20th century. She wrote uh, a book of short stories that appeared, I think, in magazines first, and they collected into a book of Darby O'Gill and the Good People. And then she wrote uh, The Ashes of Old Wishes and then other Darby O'Gill tales. So Disney reads the Darby O'Gill stuff and is like, hey, I want to you know, use this as a basis. He gets really interested in Irish folklore, which I also, when I did my trip in 2006, um, I did a lot of research into Irish folklore and I found it amazing. And I started writing a horror movie that I never finished, but I could talk about that in a little while. But anyway, uh, Irish folklore with all the different stuff they have, just like any other Celtic folklore and, and European myth, myth and folklore, Japanese we talked about, sure. you know, all that stuff's amazing. So he starts coming up with the script and he wants to do, uh, it, he goes to Ireland in the late 40s, he goes and visits the, the uh, Irish Folklore Commission, starts getting information, he comes back, he's like, I want to make a freaking uh, uh, an Irish movie, and he grabs... So that's like 47. Yeah, around 47 or so, which is 13 years, 12 years before what we're talking about here. He gets this guy, Lawrence Watkin, to write a script, and he writes a script called The Three Wishes, which is going to be, I guess, uh, uh, Dar- like a guy versus leprechauns, or dealing with leprechauns. I think at this time, his idea is to, sh- to animate all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's the whole movie's going to be animated, but definitely the thought is that the leprechauns would be animated. And then the guy, you know, much akin to the Seven Dwarfs, probably. Yeah. You know, so then in the 50s, in 1950, he goes, uh, he gets in, he does another draft of the script, and, and then he goes to Ireland and he says he's going to be doing a movie called The Little People, um, which is also, you know, another version of the script idea, the script name that he was, of what he's developing here. And uh, coincidentally, the copyright, as Blake has noted before, Disney and his crafty use of the copywriting technique of the old myth and folk legends, the copywriting of um, Kavanaugh's short stories goes off in 1956. Yeah. So this movie comes out in 59. So by 56 and 57, this becomes public domain, her, her stories. So uh, he then gets the idea and uh, hones this idea and he he now says he's going to make a leprechaun themed film called The Wishes of Darby O'Gill which is going to be based on the two books of uh, Kavanaugh um, there's an interesting idea with um, Irish culture and Irish movies especially with um, 
stuff like The Quiet Man and there's some other films where uh, it's the Irish uh, immigrant to America and they establish an America and then the idea of the American Irish then having to go back to the old country to either uh, figure a problem out or, or uh, you know, they're walking and trying to figure out like, you know, like uh, something's a uh, midlife crisis or something like that or sort of problem out. And you have that in The Quiet Man with uh, John Wayne where I think he goes back to Ireland. You know, he's an Irishman in America, goes back to Ireland to sort something out or to like he's, you know, walking the, the land till he figures out what he wants to do in life. Um, there's a couple other movies that also have that theme, which I can't think of at the moment. But Disney kind of then makes this special in 1954 that we said the Disney Hour, which is basically just a really awesome promo. L- the Luck of the Irish in 1948 and Top of the Morning in 1949 or, or other examples of these stories where supposedly Irish, you know, Americans go back and they figure stuff out in, in the homeland. Disney takes that and Disney himself becomes the character in 1954 where in this... Disney special, which is the promo for the W. Gill and the Little People, he goes to the great actor Pat O'Brien, who Pat O'Brien was in Angels with Dirty Faces, the Cagney movie. I think Pat O'Brien was part of the original Rat Pack with Frank McHugh, Humphrey Bogart, James Cagney, where Lauren Bacall used to sit with them and they would drink, and Lauren Bacall termed them. Like she, she goes, you guys are like a Rat Pack. And they were the original Rat Pack, and then when they kind of aged out, you have the who we know, Sinatra, Dean Martin, yeah. Joey Bishop, and all that come in. So Disney goes in the special to Pat O'Brien, because Pat O'Brien's Irish, to talk about the Irish. Suddenly Disney's interested in Irish folklore. He wants to make a movie on leprechauns. So Pat O'Brien agrees to put him on his quest to send him to to Ireland and to, to talk into Dublin to a myth and folklore kind of a professor there. Pat O'Brien also is the guy in the um, in the show where he's explain he he gives the backstory about Ireland and the the Irish heritage and he's the one when when and it's interesting to think that it's like Disney's there like you know the showman you know he's like P.T. Barnum he's he's basically Jim Henson yeah, yeah you know like I'm gonna make a movie about I'm gonna make a picture on you know I, the Irish and, and leprechauns and you know and Pat O'Brien's very guarded like you know you're gonna be slagging them off and he's like no you know it's gonna be a very true movie you know promoting the culture and explaining stuff like that and uh, you know and then there's a whole sequence of like explaining the Irish heritage and all that kind of a thing and Pat O'Brien, he says to Pat O'Brien, you know, he's like, uh, how are you going to do it? And he's like, oh, we're going to animate him. He's like, you can't animate him. Pat O'Brien gives him the idea, why don't you go catch yourself one? And he's like, catch myself one? What? So uh, then Disney in the special goes to Ireland and goes to like some professor. And, and then he goes to some folklore commission. And, and the, the guy there, it's another uh, example there to, for them to explain what leprechauns are. Leprechauns were angels that were up in heaven. And during the war when... Uh, heaven cast out everybody who went to hell. Who was the guy? Satan. What was his name? And Lucifer? Is it, yes, thank you. When, the, when Lucifer and all those angels were cast out of heaven, evidently the leprechauns were like smaller angels and they were so scared. Uh, King Brian hit all them while the fighting was going on. Once the fighting was over, um, Ga- Gabriel, maybe the archangel, came out and said, since you didn't participate in the fighting, we're going to cast you out of heaven, but you get to choose where you can live down on earth. So he pushed all the leprechauns out, and for two years, supposedly, they, they fell to earth, and then when they looked, they were looking for some place to land, and they saw this little island, and they thought this island best represented heaven, and that's where the, how the leprechauns came to Ireland. So this Irish guy telling D- Disney all this, says, you know who you need to go talk to? You need to go talk to this guy who knows a lot about this, knows leprechauns, this guy named Dario Gill. 
So he sends him to this town in County Kerry, um, and it's funny that by that point, so then all this is like real. It's Dario Gill supposedly a real person, and then Disney goes meets Darby O'Gill. Darby O'Gill says, "I'll take you up the mountain." Takes him up the mountain, tells him, "You know, you're, we're going to have to sit here until uh, all night long. At some point, the leprechauns will come out." Leprechaun comes out. King Brian, uh, one of the, one of the leprechauns comes out. They 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 corner him and they say, "We want to see King Brian." Uh, you know, guy goes. Leprechaun goes away. Brings King Brian out, and then there's this whole dialogue where King Brian, we want you to come to Hollywood because we're going to be making a movie. And he's like, "You know, fuck you. What the fuck? You <laughs> fucking piece of <laughs> shit. Fuck yeah, go fuck your mother. I'm not going to do that." And you know, and 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 then you know, he's like, "I'm Irish too." Disney's like, "He's like, yeah." And he's like, "Yeah, you know." I want to get the thing on tape. So he, he supposedly coerces King Brian um, of the uh, of the the the, the um, Nagashinen uh, leprechauns to come back to America and do this movie. So it's amazing in this special. And then between these, you'd see clips of the movie. This is like how this happened. This is like in the, they would show a little promo of clips of the movie. But it's amazing how Disney then in this special, and this is shown... You know, the Disney, wonderful world of Disney, everybody's watching this. So this is a huge event, and everyone knows who Pat O'Brien is, the design the actor. And everyone knows who Disney is. So Disney's setting this whole wonderful thing up like he actually brought leprechauns back with him. And he brought uh, Darby O'Gill, this real guy he found, who was this guy in this little town, in uh, uh, Rathcollin, back with him to be in this movie. You know, he's, And then even when the movie starts, it says in there, we'd like to thank King Brian Connor of the Nagarashinan, uh, Irish leprechauns for their participation in this film. And the whole premise is that, like we said before, is that they're actually using leprechauns and they're using um, uh, all real people in this. And that's, a, a, that's amazing too because that ends up actually hurting the career of the guy who played um, uh, uh, King Brian in the movie because he was looking, he was a Dublin actor and he was looking to hopefully have this movie be a vehicle and a t- calling card to be able to do other movies but then his name was kind of sponged off because he's supposed to be a um uh a leprechaun in it. yeah so his name wasn't really billed with anything so it, it was it really didn't help his career at all he was a uh, comedian and, and irish actor um o'day is his name uh what the hell is his first name Jimmy O'Day. So that kind of actually hurt his, his his thing because people, you know, he wasn't even billed in the darn movie. And Albert Sharp, who plays um, Darby O'Gill in the movie, he was retired at this point. He was a pensioner living in, in like, Belfast. And uh, Walt Disney wanted a, a really great Irish actor called Barry Fitzgerald to play um, Darby O'Gill, but he'd retired at this point as well and thought he was too old for the movie. Barry Fitzgerald's in uh, uh, Bringing Up Baby. He's in a whole bunch of other movies. Uh, he's in a great Alfred Hitchcock episode. Uh, he's in The Naked City, the the, the movie that, that we got the TV show. So he couldn't get Barry Fitzgerald, so he settled on Albert Sharp. He went to London Disney, and he cast in London. And that's where he got Albert Sharp. He got uh, Jimmy O'Day. And at the time, Sean Connery, who's an upcoming actor, I didn't know there's a very beloved... Uh, property I love called Requiem for a Heavyweight which um, I don't remember if Laszlo our acting teacher told me about it or if I already knew of it I just couldn't get a copy of it and Laszlo had a copy but there was a movie that you couldn't get for a very long time a Rod Serling uh, movie called Requiem for a Heavyweight which he did for TV with Jack Palance 
and I forget who was who else was in it, but Jack Palance plays a boxer in it. And then they made a movie version of it with uh, Anthony Quinn, Jackie Gleason, and um, uh, Mickey Rooney. Thank you, Mickey Rooney. And that wasn't available for years, that version. But the TV version, they did the TV version on television, and that happened a lot. Marty's another example where they make a TV movie and then they turn it into a feature-length movie. Uh, they went to go do it overseas, and for some reason, I think Anthony... Qu- oh, I'm sorry. In the TV version, it's uh, Jack Palance. Jack Palance is, uh, had scheduling conflicts, so they got Sean Connery to be in the TV, the, the UK version of, of this. And that's what got... Disney's attention and that's why he cast Sean Connery at this point who had done really nothing there's an episode of the Jack Benny show where Jack Benny each episode he's touring Europe and there's an episode where he gets to Rome and they're in the airport and there's some famous person over on the other side of the airport and Jack Benny and his wife are trying to figure out who it is and Sean Connery's Connery's carrying their luggage and he puts on like a terrible Italian accent saying like oh that's you know over there blow Joe blow and like wow that's Sean Connery you know but it's before he's famous he does this movie and this is evidently what Albert Broccoli sees supposedly that gets him the idea to play James Bond in Dr. No but at this point um, Sean Connery is a complete unknown as well as Janet Monroe M-U-N-R-O Monroe sure she's another actress who's amazing great she's in uh swiss family robinson and one other disney movie and she had her father was a very famous scottish comedian um that everyone knew sean connery says in the special features was very well known in scotland and he knew of him and then when the, he she was cast in this she's great she's like 24 when she does this she ends up dying tragically in 1971 at only age 38 of heart disease and she became an alcoholic uh, because of her second marriage in the 60s and stuff. And she acted periodically through the, through the 60s. But it's such, such a shame because she's so good in this. And that really rounds the cast out here. Um, and it's really, uh, for you following it the first time tonight and watching it, I was trying to figure out, like, when I was little, I had really no problem understanding any of the accents and stuff like that. And I wonder if that's because, like... Uh, of the day when the movie came out, people were used to, you know, America was a was a melting pot of immigrants. Yeah. So you're used to hearing Jewish accents, uh, Italian accents, Irish accents, Russian accents, Germans. So, did you find any kind of problem understanding the dialogue or 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 you know? No. Okay. I could follow it because I was tonight. I was listening to some of it. I was like, oh, you know, some of the the words, what they're saying, like you know, if if, if you're completely understanding, if it's not for now nowadays audiences, you know. I always think about these movies, if they made them nowadays, what they would do. I mean, of course, they would CGI all the leprechauns and, see, and all the kind of computer effects. But yeah. if they would keep dialogue or if they would try to Americanize some of the accents a little more, you know. I mean, if it was an Irish production, they wouldn't. But if it was a Disney production today, you know, sure. how would they, um, you know, do it? But, you know, for the most part, it's it's a very fun, quick-paced kind of movie. Yeah, I mean, I, maybe, I think this is a movie that maybe we should, even though we've just talked about it from two hours yeah uh give like a little synopsis of the summer of summary um of the plot well darby is a caretaker he lives in this little town called uh rathcollin which is um we we learn in the county Kerry. i think there's 17 or 18 counties in ireland county Kerry, as i said before is now down the bottom by like county cork um He's, he's a caretaker on this plot of land when the, the guy who owns the land, the manor house in the area, lives out in Dublin. And Darby's wife has since passed away. He's living with her, his daughter. His daughter's now in her early 20s. 
and uh, they both take care in the in the, in the uh, caretaker's house. This was, she was born and grew up, and they live in the house, and they take care of this land. And Darby, now being a little older in years, uh, spends most of his days, I wouldn't say drinking at the pub, but he goes to the pub and just the public house. I mean, it's a small town, yeah. so it's where people congregate to hang out. Yeah, that's what people. That's why they he used to call public like, houses. You know, he he seems like he drinks, but he he's like getting hammered. He, like yeah, yeah. He doesn't seem like he's an alcoholic. They go there because that's where his friends are hanging out. Yeah, and he tells these tall stories. It's the, it's the equivalent of hanging out in front of like the, the gas station. Yeah, or the, or or the, yeah, the, yeah, exactly. The Dunkin' is. Donuts or whatever, uh, or the Cookie Mart. Um, and he would tell these tall tales of 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 you know his his uh, on top of you know. Uh, out in the fields and meeting the leprechauns and all these stories he had. And um, when the movie begins, we have the guy who owns the property coming back to the town and he's bringing with him Sean Connery. And uh, he's realizing he doesn't know what to do with the property anymore. He doesn't really uh, live at the manor house. He wants to keep it in the family, uh, but he wants the land to be really kept and stuff. So he's bringing Connery in to kind of replace Darby O'Gill's character. And uh, Dar- he looks like he's, but he's kind of like you know, he wants to take care of Darby. It's yeah. not like he's like, you're, you're out. out. Yeah, fuck you he's out. like, I'll give you half, half wages. wages. We'll move you out of the house into like another house on the property, and then you can live there for yeah, rent free to, to for the rest of your days. And you know, you can it's still. Not like he's just throwing him out. Yeah, he's which is like, very courteous. He's just like, I need someone. Who younger? Can, who can do the physically work. take care of, yeah. of the man? You know, t- the, taking down the weeds, watching. There's a lot of poaching, I guess, on the land at the time for rabbits and stuff like that. So uh, he tells Darby this, and Darby's very apprehensive. Darby doesn't want to tell his daughter because he thinks it'll break the daughter's heart that they have to move out of the house. And that's the house they're going to give to Sean Connery. And Sean Connery's there, hearing this conversation, and the the owner gives them two weeks. And Connery's like, I, you know, I don't need. To move in that quick, but the the the, the owners like of oh, the land's like no, let's put a let's put a time frame on it. You have two weeks, Darby. So Darby says to him, "Listen, please don't tell my daughter. I'll somehow on that two weeks tell her and ease it into her, explain to her what's happening." So that's the situation. Then you have another guy, Pony, who lives in the town. He's kind of like the blaggard, the 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 the, the bully, very the Gaston yeah. character from Beauty and the Beast. He's got. Uh, his mother, who's a troublemaker, this older woman, who's trying to, one, uh, get the owner of the property to give her son, Pony, the caretaker position instead of Sean Connery, as well as she's playing the other side of the field, too, is trying to get Darby O'Gill's daughter interested in her son, Pony. So if they marry, then he would marry into that, yeah. uh, being the caretaker. And he's not really liked around the town for obvious freaking reasons because he's a <laughs> fucking asshole. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a real dick. Um, you know, they're in the bar and they're talking and Darby's telling these tall stories. Yeah, and, and everybody likes the story. I mean, it's not, not only they're humoring him, they're like into it. Yeah. You know, not, he's like a great storyteller. Yeah, it's not like, oh, that's that crazy old yeah. Darby O'Gill. Just let him, you know. You know, people are people love his stories. They like him. People are into his stories. But Pony's like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah, I don't be our old fuck. <laughs> you can take yeah. that leprechaun and shove so it. So you're at and he's like, you know, <laughs> breaking a bottle over his head. Ah, then he beats him up and then he... He live YouTubes it and he uploads the footage of him beating him up. You know, um, that's when he goes live. So um, no, that didn't happen. So that's the the guy's a fucking asshole. So uh, 
Darby's telling these stories of like you know the the one time, and it's all it's funny how he, his story he sets up the the folklore where he he he's captured. You know, you're able to capture a leprechaun by if you see him, if you if you if you close one eye, and you don't take your eye off him, they can't disappear. If you keep them, keep your eyes on him, and then. He gets Darby in this story to give him three wishes, and the third, the first wish is health. The second wish is like uh, something else. The money. third money, the pot of gold. Yeah. The third wish is something. Oh, his f- something else, and then uh, the the leprechaun King Brian's like, well, w- w- what would your next wish like to be? And he's like, well, you know, and then and then this really reveals the good nature of Darby. Yeah. Darby's like, well, I'd like my best friend down at the yeah, pub to have all my friends the money yeah, too. I'd like to have him have it. And then so then the leprechaun starts laughing. Ah ha! You know, he says like, I you know, fucking trick yeah, you know, fucking piece of shit. <laughs> Terrible Irish accent. But he's like, he's like, you know, you, you get three, you get them all. But if you wish for four, you lose them all. Something like that. So Darby loses all his wishes, and that's the that's the story he's telling down at the because they're trick they're tricky. The, it, yeah, leprechauns are tricksters. Exactly. They're 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 tricksters and all that kind of a thing. And they live in this um in this in in this mountain. And that's another thing is at the top of this mountain there's these amazing ruins. And when I was in Ireland in 2006, it was amazing. Anywhere you drive, they were just ruins everywhere of old. Ca- uh, churches, manor houses, castles. I mean, they didn't know what to do with it all. Yeah, uh, you well, know? That's the, I mean, I've never been to Ireland, but that's the crazy thing about going to places outside of the United States is that relatively, the United States is a pretty young country. Yeah, these, things uh, have, these have been around for millennia. So when you go to, you know, England or Ireland and you see these things that have been here forever, Stonehenge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's there, there are man-made structures that are crazy old compared to the oldest thing here in in, uh, in America. And it's just, it's amazing that they're just dilapidated on the side of the road and they're cover, being covered with vines and rocks or moss. So at the top of this big mountain uh, outside of town is one of these uh, ruins of whatever, a church or manor house. And when they go up there, this is where he's seeing, Dar- this is where he Darby encounters the leprechauns and King Brian especially. King Brian, they say, is 5,000 years old and... Um, he uh, Fairy Mountain is the name of the mountain. Nagash Naga, uh, what can I say? Nagatomi <laughs> Plaza. Nagadashinin. Nagadashinin is his na- is is the is the uh, is the other his fellow leprechauns. Um, and him and Darby have this relationship. And watching this this time around, watching the movie, it was really it's like fun, it almost brings a tear to your eye. The lovingness of the friendly rivalry between them. Yeah. You know where they 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 best each other. They may even get to the point where they would slug it out if they needed to, even though one's a leprechaun and one isn't. But they, they both have not only a mutual respect for each other, but they like each other. Yeah, which, they're friends. Yeah, which in near a the weird end of the movie, way, in an adversarial way. Yeah, and near the end of the movie, that you see that pay off. But it's yeah. so you 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 see, and I really this uh, viewing around really uh, admired the yeah. that friendship I mean, between the two. I mean, to me, it was pretty evident. I mean, you get this. He, 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 Darby recites the story of when he caught the leprechaun and got tricked out of his wishes. Which is also all of our exposition right there. Yeah. You know, of how three wishes and all and that. And then later, Darby, I don't know, was it falls down a well or something? Well, what, what ends up happening <laughs> he is. He ends up in, like, in the, in the community. Yeah. Down in the mountain or whatever. He follows a, the, one of the horses get away. And there's these other things in, in Irish folklore called pukas. And pukas are these, uh, you, they could be fairies, they could, they're like, they're not, not like goblins, but they're like these creatures that are shapeshifters. And I think for cinemaphiles, you may know, like, Harvey, the, the Jimmy Stewart movie, 
the rabbit he's supposedly seen that no one else can see is a, supposed to be a puka. P-O-O-K. It's this shape-shifting creature that's either brings you luck or is a trickster. Again, it's always good or bad things could happen. So pukas can also turn into animals. So this one night, and I forgot why, but Darby's trying to... Their their prize horse gets away. Yeah. So Darby's trying to trying to get it back and you know he needs to take it to go pick up the church that's another the great thing. subplot yeah so so we'll, t- we'll talk about that in a second yeah because the next day he's got to do this journey to the next town over to uh glen cove long island <laughs> but uh no it's not long island. okay but so he runs he, ch- he runs up the hill thinks he's chasing his horse but he's chasing this puka and the puka that's when you see that weird effect when it's like woo, 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 and yeah, darby yeah. gets scared walks back falls into a well like blake said falls down and then suddenly lands he's in fairy mountain and uh, I forgot why, but he's been brought there by King Brian. King Brian's like, now that you're here, um, you can't leave. But yeah. you can, you know. But it's also, but he's also like, you could have. He's, he's like, hey, good to see you, man. Yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> he's like, you know, I'm gonna sit, sit down. Maybe that's it because because yeah. because he, I think the leprechauns overheard uh, the the situation and another uh, going to their friendship. In, in King Brian, so he's like, this is what I'm doing for you. Yeah. You know, I'm going to bring you here. You're going to live your life out maybe for eternity in here. Your daughter's just going to think something tragic happened to you, whatever. She'll get over your thing, you know, and the other guy, and it'll be, it'll be I'm, I'm helping you out here, but instead of you making that hard decision of having to tell her. And he's like, I don't want to stay here for the rest of my life. I know. But it is like, he's like, hey. You know, he's like, you could have, so he's in, he's in with all the it leprechauns. It like we're going to keep you, like, chained up. He's no. like, hey, go sit down on that trunk over there. Yeah, Let's there's, talk. There's, yeah, there's, play, play, play the violin for yeah, me. Yeah, we have whiskey, we have plenty. We have all these different, they have all this, they have, like, the, uh, it's this, they have the, the bullion from the Spanish galleons that, that crashed off the coast. They have, uh, this throne here, blah, blah, blah. They have an Italian Stradivarius violin that was given to him by the Italian fairies. They have every, they have, you know, drink a plenty. We're going to have a good time. But Darby's like, well, I don't want to stay here, though, forever. So, again, knowing their kind of scheming and plot, and he says, you know, uh, uh, there's three things I know about the leprechauns. You know, I, you know, they like, they like to drink. They like a good story they and they like they like the foxtrot they like the fo- they good like hunt. the dance and oh yeah they like the dance and they like drink the hunt. and they like that good hunt so he said so they say you, you know you play the fiddle they give them a strata they, they bring out a stradivarius which is like one of the most renowned instruments in the world of a violin he's like i'd rather my own fiddle but okay <laughs> and he takes this thing <laughs> and he says i'm gonna play the fox and he plays this great thing on the and the music on the fiddle and uh this is one of my favorite parts in the movie because i love when it gets into the second verse when the when the orchestra really kicks in yeah. the and, it, and he gets them the leprechauns all into it they're they're all happy they're dancing they're drinking he's psyching them all up and then he's then it you know, becomes like uh he reminded me of the the church scene from oh blues, blues brothers where he's like getting them all <laughs> like annoying. flipping yeah, people yeah. like flips <laughs> and they're, they're flipping into the whiskey and out of the whiskey they're like and he gets them so psyched up he's like okay let's go and he's and then he's like get let's bring the little horses out they all get on the horses while they're going they open the side of the mountain up and uh they're all going to go on a fox hunt darby's like this is my chance to escape which was this was his idea the entire yeah. time he grabs all the riches from from the the tr- he's stuffing his pockets and as he's running out he doesn't realize he's got holes in his fucking pocket so he's dropping all the rubies and diamonds and gold and he gets out just as the uh the mountain closes again and he, he sees them go off and um his horse is sitting out there and he's and he goes into his pockets and he he has nothing to tell of his tale he, he all the all the riches dropped out yeah. so uh he goes back to town 
And but he goes to the stable, puts the horse away, and he's like, "That fucking King Brian's going to come." Oh yeah, because he knows. Because I, I, I left. Yeah, he's King Brian's pissed. Yeah, me. and I love that. And then there's the scene in the stable where the I love the interaction with the horse. He's talking to the horse. The horse is giving him a, you know, like <laughs> giving him a nah. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's very much like and I, another. I can't cite an example, but you have that sometimes where. The horse or the or the dog or the cat is your friend and you you know and he's got like that jug of liquor. It's like an old. But he's like doesn't want the horse. But he's like it's not for me. It's like we're gonna have a visitor. It's it's yeah. Because like, yeah, the horse is like oh no don't start drinking. <laughs> <laughs> he's like no 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 no. You know what happened last time? Yeah, and then the horse is like no no no. no. <laughs> and it's really late at night too. So suddenly King Brian comes in and King Brian's pissed. He's like you made me look like a fucking fool in front of my friends. <laughs> the fuck are you doing? You got to come back with me. You know he's like you know wow. Just wanted to come and get. Yeah, and he's like and his Darby's like just calm down. I just wanted to come get some stuff to bring back with me. He's like it's all right. He's like, you know he's like but since we're here and he says like you know I was about to put this jug away and then he's like oh what is it? He's like yeah. You know, you wouldn't like it. It's just really old Pacino or whatever. The whiskey is like, it's fine. And, and, the, and then he, he baits him into drinking. And it's hilarious because he gets the guy, he gets he gets King Bryant drunk. And this is an example of the beautiful force perspective we were saying, yeah. where, where he gives him this this little tin cup, which is fresh. It's like a little coffee mug. But to King Bryant, he's holding like, like a, a barrel. Bucket. Yeah, a bucket. He's drinking out of this bucket. And they start playing this funny game of, um, you know, them trying to come up with song lyrics and he gets them drinking to like in the wee hours in the morning and then what evidently what happens in the in when the sun comes up is they can't they lose their powers or something. for the most part it, they could still be shapeshifters i guess disguise what they look like to certain people but they lose their powers so suddenly king bryant can't get away and he, he stuffs them in a bag he corners them with the cat and he's like listen <laughs> you know and it's see it's a little like he's like stop and he's like and then he gets king bryant's like okay okay i won't you won't have to come back with me to fairy mountain you know and he's also like i'll give you the three whatever the fuck you want he's like and, you know and darby's like good good so he stuffs them in the bag and he's like this is going to be my chance to prove to the guy the, the lads down at the pub the wrath um wrath Colin arms that uh this my shit's real what i'm saying you know yeah. you know he goes down there it's funny the barkeeper to me looks like a, like frank morgan from dragnet you know like uh, I'm, I'm harry morgan not frank morgan frank morgan's from uh, wizard of oz harry morgan jack webb's partner uh the barkeep down at the public house he goes down there and he's got the uh the bag and then like you know he, he does the trick with it give me give me your best whiskey you have in the house he opens the bag and everyone's like what do you got a rabbit in there or whatever and he's like well you know he takes the thing he puts it into the bag you hear and it's gone glass comes up or whatever and then something happens what's her face comes his daughter he's like up. she's like you gotta get it. yeah i forgot why why it was because of the because the no it wasn't because the owner was there something happened the daughter's like you gotta come you gotta come back so the, so he has to he runs out of the place and then I love the, the, the you know, the, the people love Darby so much and believe him. And then they saw this feat. They're like, this had to be what we saw. He has a leprechaun yeah. in there. And they go, whoever doubt the story, they take the little pint glass or the little the little uh, uh, whiskey glass. They put it on the, 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 the shelf and say, if anybody doubts the story, you know, you, we could point to the glass. Yeah. Um, but also when he runs out because his daughter's all... Yeah, she's pissed. She's pissed about something. Maybe it's, she has she seen the postcard. Oh, by she then? saw the postcard. Yeah. Well, anyway, so he drops the bag, and the leprechaun leaves in the form of a rabbit. Yeah. So everyone starts laughing, and the kids run after him. He's like, "I gotta get the rabbit," and they think he's poaching. They're like, and then ponies are like, "Ah, oh, you fucking asshole!" And he like, kicks them or whatever. He's like, "Ah, oh, you know." Um, and they call that the come hither. You're gonna put the come hither on me, where it's like you're gonna have me when he put the spell on him to stay in in, in Fairy Mountain. I love the come hither. But you're right. What happened was, in the interim... There was some other stuff that occurred. The owner sent a postcard to Darby uh, saying, hey, what's the update and what's going on? No, he's, I'm sorry. He sent the postcard to Sean Connery. Yeah. 
at the address and what's going on da, 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 the 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 person at the post office which also runs like the general store the haberdasher and all that she sees the thing she's a real bitch she's yeah, reading she, the well, mail she says it to she gives it to the old woman the old woman whose son is pony the oh, rival yeah. the the gaston character they both read it and they realize what's going on that young guy in town's actually taking over for darby let's go and fuck some shit up and see if the daughter knows so they so she hands it to the daughter daughter reads it flips out because darby hasn't told her yet yeah. what's going on Sideways, the the other plot here is we have Sean Connery's there, yeah. and Sean Connery's dashing every time he's in a close up. He's making love to the camera. He's like, with he's got these eyebrows. He's like front forward. Yeah, ah, you're great. It's also, you know, the he he Darby puts King Brian in the bag because he's like, I'm gonna keep you here until I make my third wish. Oh yes, um, he ends up wasting a wish accidentally. What's his first Sean Connery. Wish? First wish was that you can't, you're not going to leave. Okay. Until I make my other two. Second, yeah. And then, so then, um, Sean Connery tackles Darby because yeah, he thinks at he's night, poaching. Because right. he's hiding out. He's like, you're a poacher. And then it's, it, that scene's kind of sad because you think about it. You know, Darby's like, I'm not a poacher. And then Sean Connery like, opens the bag. There's a rabbit. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're fucking kidding me. He's like, I'm telling you the truth, and he's like, ah, you know, what have you been drinking again? And then you're right. And then he, he Darby like, opens I the wish bag. Wish you could see ya. Yeah, Darby looks in the bag, sees King Bryant, and, and then he has. Then Sean Connery looks, and you just see a rabbit looking at him. And then he says, I, he's a, I wish you could see. And then he's like, ha ha, that's your fucking second wish, you <laughs> fucking yeah, motherfucker, you fucking shit ass fucker. And then it, then it's um. He says, but tell him, you know, he could, he says, he can see me, but he could see me as a rabbit. He's yeah. like, because they're fucking tricksters. Those jerks. Those fuckers. Uh, no offense to any leprechauns hiding about. Um, but that's another funny thing, too. You know, when he's, when he's in the... Um, he's like, all right, well, I'm going to leave. And then he takes the <laughs> He takes the bag with the rabbit. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then he's like, you're, you're not supposed to be poaching. But there's this whole, there's this little piece of business, a little scene where... Dar- uh, where King Brian's like, okay, Darby, so like, make your wish already. He's like, yeah. well, I can't make my wish because... Well, they, well, this is the thing that this furthers the plot along, too. Sidebar for a second. I love when he's in the mountain and he says to him, he's like, you know, he's trying to plead his case to let him out. And he's like, who's the one that's always telling stories about you in a good way? King Brian's like, you are, Darby. Who's the people who's telling the women to watch where they throw their bash water so they won't wet you? You. You know, I love how he's like, he's like, yeah. I'm actually fucking actively promoting you guys, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's the what you're saying is there's the other plot is that King Brian's like look you've got me held up at some point my other my other homies my boys my OGs are gonna start trying to look for me and they're gonna start fucking some shit up you know and they may you may start a whole war you may have changelings coming out and all this stuff they they may you know leprechauns he implies also keep all the evil things at bay and he's like if you hold me captive here the other leprechauns are going to come come and, and then s- trouble could arise so like Blake's saying come on make your third wish and Darby's like well I don't know what to wish for and he's like I'll give you the fucking sack of gold he's like I don't know if I want the gold he's, and he starts explaining the dilemma here he's like well my daughter's upset about what's going on and I kind of want you know her to maybe they so King Brian's like oh you know I'll be I'll play Cupid and be yeah, a matchmaker he's like, well what if what if she got what if she fell in love and she got married yeah and then she's taken care of is that a good third wait yeah like like will you would you then make your third wish yeah if you don't have to worry about her so then he plays Cupid and there's a, some couple of scenes where he goes and he 
Which are funny. Visit like, them at night to try uh, to like plant and the girl. seed of like you know they like each other. You know, like, you know, and it's it's fun because that's again nice force perspective where you know he's climbing up the back uh, the, the 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 bedpost to talk to her or with with Connery. He's you know he's saying stuff to Connery so that they'll kind of fancy each other. And there's some nice scenes where together where Sean's singing and he's got a little like yeah, s- thing and then she's singing. Yeah, they feel they end up kissing. And yeah, they fall and off. she does it too. She's like, yeah. remember, it's like. He, it looks like Connery's going to do it. And then they're they're both watching, which is it's another great little force perspective. They're watching from the window where Darby just, you know, put it has his elbow, but King Brian's like holding on to look up. Yeah. And it's another great force perspective and then there's a the scene where like uh, Con- they're watching Connery's about to kiss her but then doesn't and then uh, the, the what's his face? O'Shea who's playing um uh, Jimmy O'Shea, o- OD Who's playing King Brian's like ah he's and he's a Dublin man as well because he couldn't do it but then she runs up and kisses him instead and then yeah. it's like oh they're so there's a little love story involved yeah and Darby's and he's like King Brian's like okay well now make your third wish and then the bell starts ringing yeah so we have the, the other <laughs> plot which is awesome is that the, the priest and it's another great thing is that who the priest is another famous actor um, who uh, Dennis O'D, O.D. too same last name um, he. You know, since religion is huge back then as well with Catholicism and all that, you know, everyone respects if the if the vicar or the this in this the Irish priest the Catholic priest comes into the pub, everyone okay, you know, he's like the almost the constable because even Pony doesn't fuck around when the priest is there. He's very yeah. respectful to the to the priest. The priest is looking for somebody to bring the bell from the next Glen Cove over because their chapel their they tower, got a new they're getting a new bell. Yeah, because somebody else is getting a new bell, so they've agreed to donate it, but they just need to donate figure the old bell to their town to their town because they don't have a bell. Yeah, and they're saying that that'd be that'll be able to finish off the church. Someone want to go get it, and Darby's the other pony's like, "I'll do it for two two bits and a shilling and a bob." And then he's bartering with the priest. The priest's like, "Well, we don't have any money in the parish." Poor goddamn. Yeah, <laughs> come on. And so Darby's like, "I'll do it for free," and that I think pisses off the the, the guy a little more. Yeah. So that's why Darby goes home, has to find the pony. The, and he's like, the, his horse. He does it for free, but his payment is like that's great. Yeah, it's like, but it's like you will the, the first day we'll ring the bell, it'll be, it'll be for you. yeah, it'll be your music for, and then it'll be your song. So. Darby brings it back. Very at it's also character building, establishing character and all that kind of a thing. So Darby brings it back and then that morning he's like, Make your third wish and the bell starts ringing. He's like, No, I want to some music yeah, for me. I want to listen to the music instead. And then I think the scene at the pub, and that's when Dar- that's when after that is where we have the the this is the, how the plot starts very going very quickly. Where there's the next scene at the pub where Darby sh- shows him drinking the whiskey and then she runs in all pissed. Yeah, well she gets in a fight with What's because she, first, right? Connery, yeah, because, because she. Like, find, Why did you tell me? Yeah, I, I read the postcard. He's like your dad told me not to tell. Yeah, you. it's not my fucking fault. He's like, like I don't want to live here if yeah, you're not going to be here with yeah, me. Yeah, he's like, what's your? I, I love you and I want you to be my wife. Don't you see? I love you. <laughs> I love, you know, and then she hits him too. She 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 hits him pretty good and gives him like a nice little uh, yeah. cut on I, his I face. I don't remember the timing. Is like I don't remember the timing because then that's when he gets knocked out. But then she, she runs in to him to get Darby at the. At the pub, right? At the pub during the day. Yeah, but then it happens at night. So we're, we're, so I don't know. we're missing the timing, timing up here. Timing's off. So she... Um, but anyway, so he, we she, talked about that pub scene. Yeah, so, he, so she brings him back. Uh, she gets into a fight with Connery. And the other thing is Pony, the, the, the Gaston, is thinking he's going to set Connery up to look like a drunk so he can get fired and he'll get the job. So when she smacks Connery... And then runs out because their horse has supposedly gotten loose again. 
she's going to go catch it herself. Connor's like, no, you can't. It's, there's going to be a storm coming. You know, it's getting dark. You shouldn't be doing this. She hits Connery. Connery's walking by. The Gaston knocks Connery out over the head, brings him to the other side of the, the land, puts him by the manor house, yeah. drunk dumps him, puts him whiskey all over him. Every drunk doesn't get any in their mouth. Yeah, he pours it all all over themselves, so he smells. (laughs) So, um, and then he disappears. So when Darby's coming back, Darby, I guess, passes the manor house, sees him there, and he's like, ah, you've been drinking. And then he kind of wakes up, he's like, I haven't been. And then he realizes, oh, it was a setup, you know. And then they're like, where's Katie? And then this is the scene, he's like, "Um, oh, I was trying to get her. She went up on the top of the hill. And and he's like, and Darby's like, no, she can't go up there. You know, this is the bad news. And they hear the Banshee calling. So the Banshee is this really uh, interesting thing where I didn't learn the backstory of a Banshee until, again, I went to Ireland, did the research. Banshees are usually, each family has, the Irish family has their own Banshee. And banshees are usually seen uh, in times of distress, and banshees are usually to warn a family of uh, impending tragedy, and that's their wail, their cry is 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 the is the yeah. uh, forever that them being sad about this this tragic event or whatever is happening. So typically or traditionally, uh, Irish families would see a banshee or hear a banshee before some sort of personal family tragedy. Yeah. And even to the point where sometimes banshees have been known to travel even to America following their family uh, to warn them or whatever. So he says, I, I heard her call on the same yeah. night. Yeah, last time I heard that bitch. Yeah, it was with the night that, that, that Katie's mother died, which is sad. So he goes up, Gar- Darby runs up on the hill to go after her. He, he sees the horse. And he looks, uh, and he sees the banshee. And this was so scary when you were little. Well, he also sees her. He sees, sees her. She's fallen. So what we learn is that, well, I think it's what King Brian said was that they they did another a puka. The leprechauns again used the puka to to, to bring uh, to be disguised as a horse to drive her up the hill because they want Darby back. Yeah. And she must have fallen and tripped and fell and hit her head something happened to her and she's knocked out and falling down some storm, rocks there's a storm yeah it's and there's 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 already starting there's some lightning in the air and then we see this banshee and the banshee comes f- coming down to darby and it's freaky looking and you can see it's combing its hair and uh yeah, that's it's, another it's really for, cool yeah for for 1959 it looks like uh, ahead of its time yeah and it's the that angelic kind of wail that you hear sometimes yeah, on songs it's like and just this light woman made of light coming down and it's supposedly how they did it um they did this and then the next thing that we see concerning this is that they 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 shot black and white against the black background and the 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 banshee and then the coach of death later on are entirely white and then the negative was then printed enlarged and kept out of focus and then the uh, then it was then added to the film using an optical printer yeah so so optical printing is uh, effects that were done. Everything we've talked about so far, the matte painting, the force perspective, all that stuff is what we call in camera, which means that it's happening on set. They're capturing it on film the way it is. Optical printing is more of a post-production type uh, thing where they use, they basically reshoot uh stuff with another with another they shoot the film with another camera yeah so you know back in our back in our day especially when we were watching stuff from like the 70s you know you would often see a uh like a shot there'd be like a shot of Dion uh reading his notes and then 
all of a sudden it would get really grainy and then it would zoom in. It's because they made, instead of doing the zoom on set with a zoom lens, they decided they wanted to zoom afterwards. And so they would create the zoom with an optical, with the optical optical printer, another camera. So it's a way of basically shooting stuff uh, after the fact and changing it, whether it's it's just punching in on something or zooming in on something after the fact. Or adding in a another or, effect or shot. Or in these cases, in a case like this, adding in uh, the effect shots. And the you know, the computers, the, uh, that was how you did. Yeah. Optical I mean, printing was how you, if you added in any kind of, like, making somebody small or you're having a animated sequence or you're adding any kind of effect to what you've already shot you yeah. have to act optically you know print something that. like this the, the way which is it just as mundane as just having the what you shot on uh a table and then you're having a camera above it shooting and then yeah. you're adding your basically element. you're <laughs> adding two you're 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 filming two different elements onto one piece of film yeah so you have like two pieces of film and you're filming you're taking pictures of that those combined elements onto a, a its own piece of film and that's so why that, you lose so a generation can, like you're saying and so it gets grainy because yeah. you're kind of like a, you know like a photocopy a photocopy uh, or you know make it a vhs tape <laughs> the yeah more you, you you make, lo- the more you make it you know so um bef- prior to that something like that would have been done in camera by something like backwinding right like, yeah like uh, so they man. would shoot so so if me and blake are in a scene right and uh i don't know blake's a ghost or something like that they would they would they would have a piece of film. I know we're getting technical, but bear with us. It's, uh, so if I'm on the frame right of the side of the camera, they would shoot me first, and they would cover the left side of the film, the left side of the camera, so you're not exposing that film, and they would shoot me. And then when they were done, they would backwind the camera to the beginning. They would cover what they just shot of me in black, so you're not re-exposing that, and then they would open up the side that you haven't shot yet, and then they would have Blake do whatever, or maybe it was me twice yeah, on the other yeah. side, and then you shoot that side so that you're just you know. But then that's trickier too because one, you have to make sure you're really correct with your math and your special effects and your focus, whatever. Two, and that, you can't and that see you're it. Starting it at the same spot, yes. Yeah. And the you, two things will not be in sync, and you're not going to know until you develop it to yeah. like a day or two later until you look at your dailies that if you've done it right, it's not like you had like a, a preview of what you just did. So that's very comp- a lot so, of that stuff is like I brought up Sherlock Jr. earlier, the Buster Keaton movie, and I brought that up because there's a lot of really great effects and a very like amazing kind of dream sequence where he walks into a film and then the film changes. All that stuff was done backwinding because the process of optical printing wasn't invented yet. Yeah, here it's using similar ideas. But a much more technical, more precise way of doing it. So the, that's how they do the banshee and the banshee. And then what they end up doing also is like they, I just read off the paper was they they had everything a black background and everything, and they had the banshee, the character dressed in white. And then when they develop it, they develop the negative so that that the white is now black and the background is white. And then they're able to take that image and then they're able to optically print it over here. And she comes zooming down, and then this uh, very uh, unnerving demonic kind of wail and then with the music the mm, and like you see her come down and she's screaming and then so Darby like throws his lantern at her and that gets her away well he first gets it between her and yeah he's get away cause, cause he she, gets in between Katie her, and the banshee be like yeah, get the fuck away and she's like it's very scooby doo and she's combing her hair the banshee which is something they say sometimes you see like you'll see her combing her hair either she's 
very tall and pale, maybe with red hair and red eyes because she's always crying, or she's shorter. There's other legends where she's like a foot tall, more of a, a fairy size. I like the idea where she's tall. We're going to go with that. So she, and that's how she's in the movie. Yeah. So he, like you said, he gets between her on the mountain. He throws his lantern at her. The lantern busts on the rock, and she disappears. So he's able to like, It's very sad. So he takes her home. And, and Kyrie shows up. Yeah, because they had split up. Looking for her. He's like, Katie, Katie, Katie. So they get home. Priest is there instead of the doctor. In like the well, end she's of- got a fever. So I think on top of falling, I think with the storm, she's caught. Something. It's caught yeah. a bug. And then the uh, the barkeeper's wife's there, the one who put the shot glass up on the... on the, on the, the They're like, they don't know. She's she, Something's going to happen. She, she's near death because either she hit her head, she's got a fever because of that, or in conjunction with the storm or something. So she could die tonight. So uh, he doesn't know what to do at this point. Um, uh, uh, Albert Sharp, uh, Darby O'Gill... One of the scariest scenes in the movie, too, for me here is this, where he walks out of the bedroom, because they're all in the bedroom kind of console, he doesn't know what to do, and he's hearing a noise, he goes over to the front door, opens the front door, and the fucking banshee is there and comes in, you know, like comes zooming down, yeah. and he's like, ah, and he, then at that point he's like, get away, get away, and he, so he, he's able to, he, he runs after it out in the yard, and it's flying around, and he throws like a like a hoe at it, like a like a pitchfork, and it disappears. And all of a sudden, uh, up in the clouds, suddenly the coach of death is is yeah, present. That's the, what she's been warning about. Yeah, and and it's then the coach's death is coming down because Katie's dying or has died, and it's come to take her soul. And it's so scary. It's the same technique we just said here is that they, they're doing the same thing with how visually it looks. It has like that negative kind of a look coming down. Kind it's of very, glowing. Yeah, it's very what you see in, this, in, in, the, in the Disney, um, uh, the haunted house and the Disney rides. And like you see them employ this a lot in the 60s and the 70s, this technique. And um, so that's when he starts... Uh, uh, Darby freaks out and he starts calling um, like King Brian. King Brian, King Brian, and King Brian shows up. He's like, "What's up?" He's like, "I heard you." You know, he's like, "He's like, give me my third wish." He's like, "Okay." He's like, "I want the the coach of death to take me instead." Well, at first he's like, "Send it back." Oh, see, so yeah, he's like, "Send it back." Like, oh, I gotta do that. Yeah, and it's he's like, late. "He's like, no, man." He's like, "Once it comes out, it can never go back empty. It has to come back full." And he's like, "Then fucking," he's like, "This is our our version <laughs> of it, our radio play." Say, like, "Fuck it." <laughs> Like he's like, I'd let, have it take me instead. And then King Brian's like, you don't know what you're saying, man. What are you talking about? No. And he's like, please, I lived a good life, you know. Let Katie, you know, please. He's like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. he's like, okay, your 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 third wish is granted. So then by that time, the the, the death coach comes. It, it this is awesome shot where it comes around into the air and then lands perfectly, comes around, and it's basically like a. I don't know about eight horses, you know, and they're all black, and you, you know, and, and pulling this coach very much out of that last movie we just saw with um, one. It's almost out of Bram Stoker's Dracula, yeah, and it's also out of that uh, Coen Brothers movie, the the um, the one uh, uh, Busker Scruggs at the end of that with the coach of death. So at the top of it, there's a horseman. It's a headless horseman, like the the coachman, and it's like Darby O'Gill. And then it opens the thing in Darby, and then it's beautiful cue starts raining. Yeah, yeah. You know, pouring, pouring. Yeah, pouring on Darby. Darby knows, like you know. And it's and it's again watching this because I haven't seen it probably since we watched it together fifteen years ago. Yeah. Aging into into life, it's like oh my god! It's so he must be so despondent. It's like he can't even. He, I think he might even turn and look back at the house. 
but he's like, this is it. You know, I'm fucking going to heaven. You know, it's like, you know, the, the, the coach of death is here to take my soul. Yeah. He gets up into the coach, door shuts, and it's this beautiful interior black kind of like, uh, what do you call that? Cushion, the, the, the yeah, old-fashioned yeah, yeah. Victorian kind of. And then all of a sudden, it's like a plane taking off. It's a beautiful shot where it's like he's looking out the window, but it's raining so hard. He sees like the uh, the cottage getting, you know, farther away. And he's like, you know, he's looking out and it's kind of getting a little hard to see. And he's like, you know, because the cottage has lights on. He's like, oh, he doesn't know. Then suddenly King Bryant shows up and King Bryant's like, hey, he's like, I just wanted you to know that, you know, her fever broke as soon as, you know, you left. So she's going to be okay. And Darby's like, oh, good, you know, and he's like, and then so he starts baiting him. He's like, uh, you know... Well, even before that, there's a touching moment where he's like, I'm going to get in, but every year or so, you check up on her, make sure she's okay. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. He's like, yeah. I'll do that, Darby, I'll do it. Yeah, it's going to make me cry. Yeah, yeah. So, it, so, it's, so he's in there, and he's like... Um, what's he say? He's, you know, he's like... Uh, you know, you, you've led a good life. We've we've been good adversaries. You've been it's it's like the end of Smokey and the Bandit. Like you've been the best person I've ever, and you've been the the best adversary in my five thousand years. You know, and, and you, you've been a good man, Darby. You've you know always been nice. And he's and then he just and then he says, King Brian's like you know, I just wish I could come with you too and 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 give you you know and be there with you. And then Darby's like just so despondent. He's like, yeah, I wish you could come too. And then he's like, ha ha. You fucking cunt! <laughs> for wishes. Yeah. He's like, you, you can't, you fool. But doesn't that mean it invalidates the? Th- well, yeah, I, I mean, they would have to. I guess because it's already in root. Yeah, it doesn't. Back. No, but also, I guess maybe because her fever already broke. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. she's well. So, so he's like, you know, so you, you 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 wish three, you get them. But if you wish four, you lose them all. So he he gets pushed out of the death coach. He falls through the air and he lands in like a puddle of mud. And he looks up and he sees the coach going up into the into the clouds again. And Darby's. You know, and then the next morning, it's like, um, you know, evidently Darby was found, like, you know, all like fucking <laughs> beside himself. You know what I mean? In mud but bottle. you think about it, it's funny because you think about it from like the, the, the townspeople's point of view. There must be like, this Darby's great. You know, it's like he's, he's muttering out in the road about the coach of death and, you know, and, uh, but Katie's okay. I think she's, 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 she's kind of fancying Sean Connery. So there's the next scene where they go to the pub. And I think uh, Darby's now regaling everybody at the pub about what happened. Yeah, yeah. He's telling everybody about this last story. Yeah. <clears throat> Pony's like, "You're full of fucking yeah, shit." Yeah, he's like, "Yeah, it wasn't no death coach. You were yeah. stuck in a mud puddle." Yeah, well, yeah. The they found. Yeah, the, 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 the owner found you of the you know his coach. Out. Yeah, and he said you were muddling in the rain and the puddle about the death coach. And he's like, you know, so I think you're full of shit. And then you know somebody says, which is early in the movie too. We get the yeah. the, the you know. The, the the Harry Morgan lookalikes like you know if I was ten years younger I'd punch you in the fucking face and you're not gonna be drinking in my pub if you're not you know so you're not having any more whiskey I'll I'll, I'll let you have a bitter but you know and it's also funny too side stuff about they're like what, what are you gonna because he says to him uh, remember earlier he's like I have one more wish and I, that's why I'm keeping him in the bag they're like what are you gonna wish for he's like well wish for for uh, be happy he's like no I can't wish you need. The life needs bitter with the sweet, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Darby's already understood, you know, what he needs to get. Yeah, yeah you know, it's like oh, I would wish for a manor on top of a mountain. It's like, yeah, but who's gonna take care yeah, of it? Yeah, exactly. Wish for that. Yeah, you, you, you're, you're not, not gonna, gonna have the money to take care of it. You're not gonna have the money <laughs> to take care of it. You're not gonna have the shopkeeper. So you're gonna be a, a, a church mouse in a big old church, you know. So it's it's you know his intelligence of it all. So getting to the end of the movie now, where he says to um, Connery, he says. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. We're d- ponies now with with uh, Darby saying you're full of shit, you know, and you're a drunk, blah blah blah. And and uh, I, I, he says something to him, and then suddenly Connery walks in, and Connery's like, you know, he Connery says like, uh, 
if, if, you know, somebody last night knocked me over the head and knocked me out and, and left me and poured whiskey all over me and framed me. And uh, a little leprechaun came to me in my dream and said, uh, you know, it, it was you. And then Tony's like, really? And he says, and he said, if it was, he says, I should knock you, beat the shit out of you. <laughs> and he's like, really? Will you? And then, you know, to keep Connery fair, he does, Connery does throw the first punch. Or no, the other guy throws the first punch. Connery dodges it. And there's a big fist fight. And I was thinking this might be in all Connery's career. Yeah. The biggest, even past the Bond movies of Connery, really, he's really scrapping for a well, good. What I thought was watching for like 30 seconds. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I thought was interesting was that, like, clearly there must have been some discussion of, like, well, maybe they filmed the whole thing. And then they were like, this is too violent. Oh, because you think it's cut back a little bit? Because then... It's like just long shots of like Darby being like, oh, ee. Like, you know, there's like extended periods of time where it's just, you see a shot of people watching the fight. Well, he picked And you hear them reacting to the sounds. They couldn't show like them like by the hot boiler almost <laughs> yeah. pushing his face into the cauldron. And then or- they'll, cut, they'll cut back for some fight so yeah. that you can still see some of the action. But uh, yeah, so Connery just comes in, and they fight, and they tear the crap out of that bar, <laughs> break the table, destroy the place, breaking good bottles. <laughs> all over, yeah, all, yeah. And then, then Pony fights dirty. He, he grabs a, a bottle, and then he and then he throws a bottle. And he breaks it over Connery's forearm, which injures Connery. Connery's like ah, and then he finally um, beats the shit out of the guy, knocks him out, and then that's. I love the music. The cues go with that. Dun, yeah, yeah. dun, you know. And uh, everybody's like, "Yeah, you know, he's a fucking ass." Like it's like he finally got his comeuppance, and and not only that, he got his comeuppance in the fucking bar in front of everybody. So it kind of ends this idyllically, where it's like they come out, she's there, uh, they're like, "Let's go back," you know. They Darby gets the horse, they get back on the little thing. The, the Connery and um, um, what's her Janet get on the on the back. They start singing a little reprise of their song, "The Pretty Irish Girl, Pretty Irish Boy," and you know they go back towards the manor house leaving you to believe that they're going to be married and they're going to then you know let them live in a house and that whole that kind of a thing and and it ends on a a very very nice note since you brought up the music um a couple of times uh the music was by a uh, a composer named oliver wallace who had participated on uh basically almost everything disney did between 1934 and uh like 1963 or something like that. So whether he did the score or, or contributed to the score or contributed to the songwriting, he worked, he did, he worked on the music for like Pinocchio and, uh, you know, Cinderella and all these, you know, all a, a lot of the really great, uh, animated movies. And then up and, you know, through a bunch of the other stuff they did. So, uh, it's amazing how he reused people like that. Uh, well, it's like, well, you got to figure though. It was still kind of, I mean, by '59, I don't know. Once the studio system start to get dis- disassembled, probably. So, well, well, that's when you have some of those big budget, like Cleopatra. They start flopping, and then yeah. you start having people so, I mean, going was, to Europe. At that point, it was kind of, I think, well, like it was still part of the it was part of the practice. Which yeah, is like these people worked at the, you know, at the studio. So I guess it does kind of make sense. I mean, even even as it kind of leaves the studio system, he probably still has very much a studio system mentality. Yeah, uh, because that's you know when Walt Disney started Disney uh, Studios and all that stuff. So the idea of that, like, okay, this is our whatever our, we have a music team. And they're going to do the music for all our movies. And this, yeah, we, we, we have X amount of directors on staff or on, under contract. And, and we're going to pick what's so, his face who did Old Yeller. So, you know, get Robert uh, Stevenson. 
to direct um, it. So I guess it makes sense, yeah. you know, when you think of it in that context. Shopping it out to, like, to the different people, the different department heads. That's basically, there were very few do. directors who weren't under contract. Like, Howard Hawks, oddly <clears> enough, was always independent. He didn't actually, I don't believe he ever signed a contract with a studio. But most, or even the directors, um, writers, you know, they worked at a studio. It was a, it was like a nine-to-five job for yeah. them. Yeah, and it, you're right. You're supposed to the actors and stuff every week. They're shitting a movie out or something. Or they're being loaned out to another studio. Yeah, because yeah, at the time, Fox had seen Connery, and Fox had given Connery a contract from seeing that rec- the BBC version of Requiem for a Heavyweight. And they, they loaned, Fox loaned, Connery out to Disney to do this movie yeah. uh, at the time. Uh, Bits and Bobs, the guy, Barry Fitzgerald, the Irish guy who uh, Disney originally wanted as Darby, he wanted originally to have him play both parts, have Barry Fitzgerald to play Darby and have him play King Bryant, which would have been interesting. Yeah. Um, that might also have been when they were talking about animation, yeah. so maybe it was more voicing. That's true. Uh, or before, obviously before they figured out that they were going to do it force perspective with force perspective because then that would have been impossible <laughs> to do it crazy. that way. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it you would all do the same optical printing then. Um, the they also brought in for as a uh, technical advisor this guy named Michael O'Hurley, and he is somebody who went on to direct. He directed episodes of Maverick, uh, Man from Uncle, Gunsmoke, Mission Impossible, Hawaii Five O, Mash, Mannix, A Team, Miami Vice, Equalizer, and he also directed uh, a couple episodes of Star Trek: The Original Series, Tomorrow Is Yesterday, The Paradise Syndrome, and The Children Shall Lead. Uh, and he, Michael Hurley, he I, I concentrate so much on him. He's Irish. They used him as a technical advisor for this movie to make sure stuff was pretty much right. He is brother to Dan O'Hurley, who is the old man from um, Halloween 3. And, okay, yeah. Uh, and is... Colonel Cochran? Yep. Yeah, exactly. And also Robocop. Mm-hmm. He's the old man in Robocop. And uh, his nephew, who is Dan O'Hurley's son is Gavin O'Hurley, who we know from Willow. Willow. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. <laughs> which we, yeah so, you know, so that was the, o, <laughs> that's the O'Hurley, who was a director. Um, they did have a lot of original stuff in Gaelic, which they evidently took out when they, I think, brought it to TV or put it, maybe the, the, the original theatrical versions, but those parts have been restored. So if you watch it now on DVD or whatever, they do have some of the Gaelic when you see them, the leprechauns yelling at each other or whatever. Uh, they, they've restored some of the Gaelic uh, uh, talk. Um, they r- recorded the song "Pretty Irish Girl" Connery and Janet Monroe. Monroe I'm probably saying her name wrong. Uh, which that was re- released in the UK. It really, to me, it really sounds like she's dubbed. You think she's dubbed? I think it's. I think it's him. He's if they if they dubbed him, they found someone who was okay. a very good match. Because for they him. say they're not dubbed, but there was a rumor that they were dubbed. But I think it sounds a lot like him. And then the people they say that dubbed him, uh, they were like. There's there's a uh, an argument against it like the, the like the, the mat the voices don't match because the guy's a tenor and Brent, the girl was Brendan O'Dowda yeah and Ruby Murray Ruby Murray but then somebody was like I, but you could tell singers. like at the end of that thing that the matches the voices match and that's one of the reasons why I think she might be dumb because she sings a certain way and then there's a at the very end there's a last line I think as Darby's coming in that's her on where, set <laughs> where it sound it does sound like her and it doesn't sound like it matches to yeah. Me. I mean that's just the, you know, or it could be that she they sang it before. And You'd then be you surprised just, how much they dubbed sure. stuff back then. I mean, yeah. even West Side Story, like obviously, I think everybody knows that Natalie uh, Woods was dubbed, but even um, Audrey Hepburn's all dubbed in uh, My Fair Lady, you and, know, uh, uh, Russ for the most part, Tamlin. 
in in West Side Story, and they just dumped him with some guy that sounds like him. Yeah. So it's believable, but it is him. Those I mean, the, but but he best. but he's dubbed. So yeah. They did a lot of dubbing back then, and they didn't draw a lot of attention to it. So I wouldn't be surprised if they dubbed at least her, if not both of them. Although, like you said, the guy, whoever, if somebody dubbed Connery, it's a, it's a good match because you can believe that it's. And he it's says him. he's saying it because he says that was the most uncomfortable part was singing that, and then he reprised evidently in 1992. There was a music of Disney, a legacy of song that he, uh, I guess it was a special or something, but he sang it again. Uh, well, in 1992 for some sort of special Connery did the, the singing um, she won a Golden Globe for her performance in this movie yeah. which is great um, Leonard Moulton loves this movie Leonard Moulton says this is one of the, one of the best fantasy movies ever put on film uh, he's a big proponent of this movie uh, everyone loved the movie when it came out although Connery for some reason were the, was the most criticism where people didn't like his performance artificial or tall, dark. I mean, I don't think his Irish accent's very good. I thought it'd be better than it was because he was Scottish, so I thought yeah. he'd be able to you know, but, you know, at the time as a child watching it, I didn't know. You know, it didn't really bother me so much. Um, let's see. Anything else? Uh, oh, and I just love a little, there's like a little asides where like um, in, in the Disney special when uh, uh, Darby introduces Walt Disney to to King Brian. They're laughing, and he's like, you know, he's like, "Come on back," and he, and he says something about ignorance, and he's like, uh, um, he's oh, he says when he first sees a leprechaun, Walt is like, "I didn't, I didn't think you'd look like that at all." He's like, well, "What do you mean?" He's like, "I thought you would have looked like someone with a long." Be-. He kind of describes a dwarf, and Dar- uh, King Brian starts laughing. He looks at Darby, goes, "Have you ever heard of such ignorance?" And um, Darby replies, "He's American, you know. He's not ignorant. He just knows nothing." <laughs> and it's very much how that you know, yeah. UK and, and, and Ireland, all that. That's kind of their their idea of how we are, which is kind of funny. So. Um, I like all that. I just I love the idea of the fantasy on top of the fantasy that we had um, the, the the fantastical idea of um, of them being able to do this uh, and then purport it to be fantastical on itself and have it yeah. people think because I don't know I guess people actually thought that these were real leprechauns back then you know to the point where. I mean, you know, for, to a certain level. children probably yeah. believed that uh, yeah, if they were being you know, fed that. Yeah, yeah. so I, I love that whole idea that, like, it's like they actually thank them in the credits, you know, where it's like we had the last movie, the the Mark for Death, where it was the disclaimer about, um, you know, uh, what do you call that? You know, the, the Jamaican culture, the, 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 you know, whatever it was, the voodoo culture or the Jamaican phenomenon, it's, it's, it, they're, they're very good. Don't, we're not disparaging all, a whole community here. Yeah. So, um, but that's Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Uh, I, I hope we did it some justice, especially with the Force Perspective yeah, and mean, all that kind fun. of. You know, I was worried sometimes there's movies where, like, just if, like, if you didn't grow up with them. Yeah, it's hard to have a wraparound to talk for two plus hours. Um, you know, you, you just don't have the kind of nostalgia, and so maybe you don't. You know, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I didn't grow up with it, so I don't have the same kind of feelings that you do. But um, I was, definitely, but I thought it was fun, and I definitely think if you are interested, it it, it is uh, definitely on Disney Plus. But if you can go check out that hour, that Disney hour, because it adds such a level of of other stuff. They shoot the other stuff on their sets. Yeah, it's all the dialogue between the three of them. Uh, Pat O'Brien, who's a great actor, is in it. So it's, that's a great accompaniment to see before you maybe watch the movie. Sure. You know. But uh, before we wrap it up, I have a couple of shout-outs. Yeah. 
Uh, one, I think we should shout out Jason Derenek, who is the one that finally persuaded us to do this. So a little behind baseball, <laughs> Blake and I were actually talk, trying to figure out what we were going to do as our third episode of the year, and we were we had a couple contenders, and then we were thinking about stuff we've always wanted to do, and I was like, you know, I said I, we, I've always wanted to do Darby O'Gill, but I don't think the timing would be right because we'd miss St. Patrick's Day by a week if because yeah. the St. Patrick's Day falls on the th- second to third week and this would come out on the third week. And then serendipitously... And I said, well, we could do it and just drop it early. Yeah, if we have a busy schedule. So we were thinking about it. And then literally the next day, yeah. it was like Providence, we have Jason uh, messaged us and he was like, you know, Dion, you got to do Darby O'Gill. And I forgot, we must have talked about it. Yeah. Or we must have, um, you know, when we met him in person, I hung out with, hung out with him a couple hours that day. Uh, walking around but he was the deciding factor he we was like know, you should, should do it and, and then i was, was like, like i guess it's fate yeah so shout out to jason thank you so very much for the recommendation and uh, real quick before we wrap up um you know as uh, a lot of listeners of the of our show uh know and some of us have, some of you have probably come to us through wrong Rail. both dion and i have both done episodes of wrong Rail and uh james the host of Wrong Real actually did a sidecast for us. We talked about Argento. But uh, one of the co-founders of the Wrong Real podcast, as you know, with James Hancock, uh, this gentleman's name is Mikhail. Uh, this is a, th- a tough last name. Uh, Karadimov. Anyway, so he's he's one of the... He's in the, the family of podcasting. He's, a uh, like I said, a uh, co-founder of Wrong Real. Anyways, uh, Mikhail's producing a short film uh, called Looking Back, Baby. And it's a horror film. Um, and apparently in the uh, in the feel of something like Hereditary. You know, oh. Kind of like dread horror. It's, yeah. The plot seems like it's pretty cool. I've talked to him about it. And uh, basically they're going to be starting a Kickstarter campaign soon. And so... Uh, I offered, like, you know, part of the podcasting family. We all love movies. And if you want to be a part of helping these guys bring this uh, very cool horror short to life, uh, I don't think the Kickstarter page is up yet. But depending on when you listen to this, it might be up. So probably best to just go on Instagram and uh, follow Looking Back Baby under slash film or underscore film at Looking Back Baby underscore film. Or you can uh, follow Mikhail on Instagram at M-K-A-R-A-D-I-M-O-V. So it's M. Karadimov, his last name. Um, Seems like it's a really pretty cool plot. You know, know, we all love movies and... uh, we all like to support each other, especially sure. in the in the New York podcast community. Yeah, so, and James is the man with his output and stuff like and, that. And uh, James is also very much uh, in promotion of of getting this film made. So, uh, totally recommend um, following those guys on social media. And they could probably find more more stuff about the film. Oh, sure. By, yeah, you know, the, the, what it's I'm about sure Wrong Reel is probably posting stuff too. So if you if you follow Wrong Reel on and you know as uh, the Kickstarter campaign starts officially, we'll we'll share that on our social media. But I just wanted to throw that out there because you know on top of podcasting and loving movies, you know we're all 
also trying to create things, whether it's our books or hopefully Dion and I will start making something other than books at some point. Um, It's a fun community, and it's good to be a part of it. And so uh, I just thought some of you would like to know about it. Sweet, sweet. Go check that out, please, everybody. But otherwise, Dion Baia has a book. I do, I do. It's called Darby Gill and the Little People. <laughs> no. And the Good People. And the Good People. It's called Blood in the Streets. It's available on paperback, ebook, and audiobook. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Uh, if you like 70s cop movies or, or thriller, short um, historical fiction, uh, you might like it. Check it out, Blood in the Streets. Uh, you might dig it, baby. And uh, I have a book called Score to Death, Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers, where I talk to 14 of uh, composers known for making music for horror movies. And that's available on Amazon and from other book retailers um, in paperback and in uh, ebook. Or you can uh, order a paperback from me directly at scoretodeath.com. Or, of course, uh, follow me at Score to Death on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, just am finishing up the second book, <laughs> second score to death book. So hopefully in the fall we'll have something new to plug. <laughs> That's nice. That's very nice. But uh, this is uh, getting used to this new schedule. Not seeing Dion every I know uh, every week. Every, every, yeah, it's, it's 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 we're cutting back. Just I mean, it's helping us, you know, be able to exercise our other creative talents and just get the regular workload. I done. miss not doing the show every other week, but. I do have to say, it's nice to have a little bit of a break. It's nice to have a release. It's nice to, to watch get, stuff for pleasure. <laughs> to watch movies for pleasure for the not first as time in five years. Yeah, not not just having <laughs> to watch. I've been watching a lot of stuff, you know, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, I've watched a little bit, not, not so a lot. I, I'm also a lot of stuff in comparison. I mean, it's not as much stuff as I see people on Twitter are watching things oh, every day. I don't know where they get the time. I'm also completing a book, a second book, which has nothing to do with the first book, but just another screenplay that I'm adapting to a book that I would lost like to also turn back into a, a maybe a movie at some point or a series or whatever but doing that it's just you know where one finds the time with everything you know and then having our regular day jobs so you know people with children or two jobs or all this other stuff or taking care of people it's just you know it's amazing the the uh the constraints people have on um, on your life so cutting back it is sad that we've gone to you know one a month but it has just given us a little more uh, time to be able to do other things and uh no, we'll have a next. We'll have another movie out for you in a couple weeks. Um, this is hopefully a nice little surprise. People yeah, dropped it, know. Even dropped it a little early, even though I don't think people really know when we're dropping yeah, them at this yeah. point. Well, usually, it's the third. <laughs> yeah, it's the third Friday. We're in a, shooting in for the month. third Friday. This one will be the second Friday. Yeah, on and the, we wanted the to day get of my in. birth, the three thirteen. We wanted to get it in before St. Patrick's Day because then it might be a little old hat by then. Um, but we hope you liked it. Um, another, uh, you know, walk down Disney Lane, um, and. Uh, a good another example of their live action. Now we've kind of gotten, you know, their 50s live action. We had their 70s live action. We had the flood Navi- the 80s live action, uh, you know, and we did the animated. So we're, we're 59. It's pretty damn close to the 60s. So yeah, it, we, yeah. <laughs> Aside from like doing Mary Poppins, it's like you know we're there, you know, or 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Uh, all great movies, you know. It, it, and then with the Beauty and the Beast, I, like I said, I swear we did another one, something Disney related. I mean, we talked about Disney with the. Like you said, the uh, Pee Wee Herman, because Tim yeah. Burton had and his career beginning I'm sure there. we talk about it a bit in Roger Rabbit. Roger Rabbit, because of the collaboration and stuff of, of, of all the kind of, uh, all, and all the devices they had there and all that kind of stuff. Uh, very, very exciting. We're running out of steam and things to say. It's light. It, it is very light. Um, 
one other thing, you know, I ne- we never squeezed into the Roger Rabbit. What's the name of the 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 the, the machine, the camera? Remember? Oh, uh, the one that Albi works. Yeah, Albi, yeah, you know the one that's 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 like a couple yeah. stories tall. And it actually for the optical printing, they can put add different layers so the camera can zoom with past things and all that. There's yeah. that device we talk about in one of the episodes. Something I read after we did Who Framed Roger Rabbit was that um, the tune that Judge Doom was when you at the spoiler at the end of the movie when they take. Christopher Lloyd's you never get to see what the tune is but it's a it's a tune hidden under there he is supposed to be an old ex-tune actor from like the from the silent to the talkie era and he was called the tune of a thousand faces like Lon Chaney and his secret was that he'd have one of those machines so that he would be able to put all the elements on him and that's how he would be able to look like huh. all the different tunes, you know, a little backstory that has nothing to do with that. <laughs> a little bit of truth. So now I'm going back and you listen to Roger Rabbit. Yeah, add that into Roger Rabbit and as well as, because that was something in, in a comic book prequel that they had done or a That's sequel. That's crazy. You know, that was because they wanted to fill in his backstory of what who that tune, because you never get to see, all you see him is deflated at the end on the floor. Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, it must have been a wig. What was it? You know, it was a rubber mask. You never really get to see what the tune looked like under there. And I think it might have even been because of Maybe the turn to talkies that he couldn't be used because of his voice was so, you know, was so, you know, but he's able to talk like Christopher Lloyd, so I don't know why that would be a problem. But yeah, Tune of a Thousand Faces. Figured we'd fit that in at some point. And you know what? Go back and check out some of our old ones. Sure. See, like, F This Movie just had, like, their big F This Movie Fest, and they were covering all stuff from the 90s. And they were co- and they were doing a festival of all stuff we've covered. So Were they really? Cause, uh, all movies that we've already covered yeah, on the show? Yeah, so if, you're, if you did that, and you were way into that, and you want a different perspective, go check out our yeah. Ninja Turtles, our Total Recall, our, <laughs> our Secret of the Ooze, <laughs> you know? our Raise the Titanic. We should do a special here where we talk about the, the the episodes we've done that we've liked. I mean, think about we're up to like almost 200 episodes. Well, what's, you know. That's specials and movies. I know. You know, so, so we should do like a retrospective episode. You know, and highlight some of our favorites. Yeah, or there's stuff that we wanted to talk about that we've like this. We Maybe forgot the sidecast. We'll, yeah. We'll squeeze you know, one in at some point. Because sometimes we even forget. Or our New Year's. You know, we, we're sitting there and we're like, well, remember we did the Towering Inferno? Or, or we forget, like, I think that was the guy's name. Because, <laughs> you know, we prep so hard. It's like taking the test. And then when we record, we know everything. But then within a couple of weeks, we forget all that. So. Anyway, yes, go check our back catalog out, especially for people who are new listeners. We have, Jesus, a, a, a whole bunch of episodes from every kind of genre you may like, from cartoon to horror to fantasy to, to comedy to, 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 to teen romance. Oddly to, enough, some people like them enough that they listen to them more than once. Yeah, yeah. And some people think we talk too much. But you know what? <laughs> we will give them Teeth that. Thorough. We will We will give them that. It does sometimes take us an hour to get to yeah. the topic at hand. But as we like to say, we like to sit at the table. We like to... We like to the conversation's yeah. related. For the most part, it most usually is. Unless we do a side. But usually we like to just, you know, set the mood. So... Uh, thank you very much. You can check us out on Twitter. You can check us out on Instagram. You can check us out on Facebook. We have our own page, SaturdayNightMovieSleepovers.com. You can like our stuff. You can repost. You can ask us questions. You can suggest movies. You can contact us. Uh, you know, if you want to talk to us, we're there. Uh, you know, it's almost like we're like guidance counselors. Um, uh, I have my we have own. Office hours. Yeah, we have office hours. Uh, we're usually very quick on responding to people Try too. To you know, you know, like that. And if, especially if you you read a glowing review, uh, as well as you can find me. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Blake is on 
Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Score to death. At score to death. Yep. Um, and uh, we will see you back very soon for another all new exciting episode of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Disney are part of a private collection left us by Lord de Cogan. And every volume records an encounter with the little people. So if uh, I can't answer your questions, here are the books that can. Well, do the books say how big a leprechaun may be? Oh, well, um, uh, Well, could I carry one back in a shoebox? That is, if I cut air holes in the top. Well, Faith, I don't know. Here's a thing now that may give us out of estimate. Now, these were sent in by a Mrs. McQuaid of County Cork. A real leprechaun's coat? Yes, surely. And a hat? And a hat. No doubt she was a bit careless where she threw her wash water. She found the wee jacket and cabine laid out on a furze bush to dry. Now, the man in who wore them was just under two foot tall. You could easily carry them in your police case. My grandfather described them as knee-high to a mortal. May God bless him for an honest man.